0: You all have heard me talk many times about my wife here on the show, you might recall that she's a yoga teacher. And I wanted to let you know that she is starting her own streaming service called Yoga with Ashlyn, A-I-S-L-I-N-N. That's how you spell it. And if you enjoy our meticulous data-oriented approach here on Dunkton, either you or a significant other will find this to be the best streaming service there is for yoga. Unlike apparently a lot of teachers, she spends about an hour planning the sequence for each class. Why is that important? Well, it helps you get the most out of every second that you're on the mat, whether it's one of her quick 10 minute refresh classes or one of her super hardcore inversion labs. This detailed sequencing makes all the difference Whether you're looking for injury prevention, getting into that really hard pose you haven't been able to master, or just getting your mind right at the end of a really hard day. She's got over 130 classes and that library is growing at one to two classes per week. She'll even take requests from members on new classes that they like. You can search by poses, by body part if you're feeling something is tight. She's really built an impressive platform. And whether you want to get into yoga more yourself or you know someone who is really into yoga and is looking for a way to get a lot better, check out Yoga with Ashlyn. There's a free seven-day trial. You can either go to yogawithashlyn.com or there's a link to her service in the description of this podcast. That's yogawithashlin.com, A-I-S-L-I-N-N, or just click the link in the podcast description welcome on to a sunday edition of the pod we're of course going to do our final awards but if you would like to get the list of all these awards and a bunch of other goodies danny has this thing that he's been doing for us for the past six years the remaining schedule book where he shows the remaining schedule for all the teams that it and updates all the results and projections every night here at the end of the season we are going to email that out to you tonight to our mailing list. You can sign up at nateduncanmba.com free and get our free mailing list. Get a couple of emails per week. We're also going to give you some links to unheralded writers. Discover some great basketball writing that maybe you didn't know about as well. So that's all at nateduncanmba.com free. And you can get a little bit of a taste of what you get for duncan Prime, but this will be for free. Obviously, you can keep up with all of our work as well. We'll also send out updates on our schedule for the old school NBA cast, which is going to be available now for free on hot Mike. Also we'll do a couple at the start on the old YouTube and Twitch and stuff just to get you back into it. But hot Mike, the app is where we are going to be doing it now, which is awesome. The reason we picked them is because they offer a way for you to actually sync up via their app. So sync our audio with your tv without having to do a bunch of pausing and unpausing and then you also even get even though your tv is muted you get the game sounds in there as well so this is it'll be our first time trying them hopefully everything works as well as they say it's going to but really exciting technology and now basically there's no barrier to entry if you go on hot mic you can just have us be your announcers for all the games we'll be doing during the playoffs we're shooting for about three times per week during these playoffs so danny let's get started here with these awards do you have any general thoughts on this process and what this year was like as we go through our uh, uh my document is 19 pages <laughs> i don't know how long mine, is, it. mine is only seven of um months. but well it's... well i do i guess i do have some of the older some of like what we had last month in there
1: oh yeah well i don't have mine, any of that just, in
0: just for reference yeah
1: um but so i would say in terms of overall stuff i think one of the challenges to reconcile with this year is Volume versus quality. I think that that'll come up, of course, very early when we talk about MVP and All-NBA and and other things is just that talented players miss time and whether we're talking about lebron james or james harden or anthony davis or and, and all those and so in certain cases like for mvp it's about that and then in other cases it's you know how, how are you going to evaluate what you have and you know like kind of seth partnow and i had a conversation on real jam radio about context and i think that that was something i tried to think about a fair amount here and some of that will also come in we're going to save our all defense our worst team all defense and all actual all defensive teams for a for a different podcast but like that comes up there too but this year because of the compressed schedule and because basically almost everybody missed some time yeah, i had to think about things a little bit differently than in the usual
0: year no i agree and we've talked to about just the incredible stat inflation if you're just yes. relying on traditional sets not just the traditional sets of points rebounds and assists but also even like usage true shooting percentage that even is too difficult because it's just impossible you're gonna discriminate between Nikola Jokic at 65 for true shooting and Steph at 67 and they have like slightly different usage but Jokic passes more just relying on that I mean there's just so many guys with monster stats that it's just too difficult to rely just on that so I mean we really gotta dig deep here and, and you'll see what we came up with hopefully you'll at least understand our methodology here if not Totally agree with our ultimate choices. So with that, let us begin with the most valuable player in the NBA, 2020-2021.
1: And for me, I don't know if you're the same way, I ended up sorting this. I mean, it's a pretty loose one because there are only two of them, putting this into tiers, and we try to do our awards ballots. In the same kind of the same criteria, if we could do it, and and at least the same, you know, number of spots. So like MVP, you uh, a voter, we neither of us has actual ballots, a a voter would get five slots. So I, I happen to have more players in that tier, I will name who those players are. But we always go at least through the minimum of that. And this is really where the the nexus of the quality versus quantity comes into play because this was a challenging year. And, I mean, you could go through a lot of important players, miss time, And you have to reconcile that not only within the first year, but also in subsequent ones. And also the greater disparity between the regular season and the playoffs. So my MVP ballot looks very different from my best players in the NBA vote or or, or rankings that we did
0: just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that's a, a great way to put it. And also, again, like we talked about with some of the stats, I think the league has never been more talented i mean to talk about probably the top 15 players in the nba i don't think that has ever been as strong as it has been again going back to our top 10 players in the nba and some of these guys have just uh, continued to play even better than when we did that about a month or so ago so i'm ultimately going to go with Nikola jokic as my mvp but i will say most people are like oh it's obvious it's over he's the mvp in bond temps, straw poll I think he got like 85 90 percent and probably if anything since then Jokic has continued to cook it and for a lot of people maintain if not widen that gap because of what the Nuggets have been able to do since Jamal Murray went down we talked when that happened That that could either bring Jokic back to the pack if the Nuggets really struggled or could be the differentiator to just put it away for him. And that would have been the case for me that he just had completely put it away if Stephen Curry hadn't had this completely crazy last 40 days or so with maybe the best shooting streak that's ever happened in NBA history. So I have it very close between Jokic and Curry, and my ultimate tiebreaker was just that Jokic had played a little bit more, and then maybe just a little bit more that the Nuggets had more team success than the Warriors did, as measured, of course, with when each of those guys are on the floor because they're not responsible for what happens uh, when they're off the floor, generally, uh, unless they are off the floor for longer, in which case uh, that does kind of add up, and so yeah, Jokic—that's
1: that's, value—is one way of I mean, right,
0: right, so. Let's just uh well. So, so let me ask you this, Danny. Were those your top two, or did you have someone else uh in the number one or number two slot?
1: Not only were those my top two, but that is my first tier. Is just those two players, and a part of the reason why it is those two and not everybody else is that to me, everybody, every other player is deficient in one of the two arms of it. So that's either quality or quantity. So there were certain players, Joel Embiid being a prominent one. You could argue LeBron James. I mean, he his. Quantity is even yeah. lower, but like that, those players they play just as well, if not better, depending on how you want to quantify a few things. But when the difference, so like as we're recording this, Joel Embiid has played 1,537 minutes, Jokic has played 2,380, Curry has played 2038. That is a series of different, like that's that's a, a large volume. Now, Curry yeah. to Jokic, that's you know, Curry has played 85% of the minutes that Jokic has, so that's close, that's closer, but not necessarily close, you know, like that's a, yeah. a big Difference. So you have those guys. And I
0: like to use games too. We should talk about that as well. I I think for, for this, especially because, you know, if you're really good, you're going to sit more at the end of games perhaps but and just being available for your team in a game i consider that and particularly also if you're just having like these large swaths of missed time i think that's more damaging than you know if you miss a game here or there so games joel Embiid, bead 49 games jokic 68 curry 60 and you mentioned what the the minute totals are There, so it is an an advantage for Jokic. Enough that I think it can break a tie. And if they had played the exact amount of minutes... I don't know what I would do because and I might end up favoring Curry for reasons that we'll talk about. Um, So do do you want to anything else you want to say about these guys? I've got some more stats I can give and obviously a rationale, which probably won't be a surprise to some people who've listened to us talk about Jokic for the last month and a half here.
1: I mean, so what I think is is so fascinating about it being those two players at the top of the pile is that some of the arguments that would normally be made against either one of them don't apply nearly as much, but in certain ways apply more. So what I mean by that is, you can kind of talk about offense and defense a little bit separately for these two, because they're both high-value offensive and lesser-value defensive players. And so for me, like, you, so you get into some of the questions. So if you want to use, like, Estimated plus minus EPM. Curry is now moved he's moved significantly ahead of Jokic plus 7.5 versus plus 6.7. Uh I'm trying to and and so that is you know, and part of that is because you know some of these on-off stats incorporate that Stephen Curry has extremely limited teammates. And he is one of the only players, if not the only player on his team who can like dribble pass. And if you want to include dribble pass and shoot, he is the only player on his team who can do that. And Nikola Jokic does not have Jamal Murray right now, but he does have Jamal Murray most of the time. And the support players if we want to talk about Michael Porter Jr. or even some of the like depth guards and everything else like the support talent for Nikola Jokic is better and so it is to me it is not a huge surprise that the Nuggets offense is meaningfully better when Jokic is on the floor than when Stephen Curry is on the floor and and I think that you know you could you talk about some of the models that 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 counter that 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 account for that as well and then you get into the interesting question which is okay how do you want to how do you want to square this defensively and
0: yeah, and just, just to summarize here before you do that, uh, on the offense, Curry, in most of these metrics, uh, 538's Raptor, ESPN's RPM, although that's people tell me that that's got, gotten a little squirrely lately with some of the updates. We're not going to rely on that quite as much as, as we have in the past. Uh, EPM, which you mentioned, uh, but Curry, on basically every metric, just on offense, is number one even on EPM where Jokic is like massively ahead overall over Curry like that a lot of that is based on giving Jokic credit for defense and Curry credit for or, or a, a demerit for his defense and as I think you're gonna start to talk about here I don't buy that conception of these value metrics the idea that Nikola Jokic should get more credit for his defense than Stephen Curry
1: I agree and there are a number of different ways to get into it I mean one of them is Okay, what the do, how does the Denver Nuggets defense fare when Jokic's on the floor and how big of a factor is he in that success or lack of success? And so, this year, I'll use cleaning the glass. I think this is the the best the better version of defensive rating because it filters out garbage time, which I think is less valuable you know it it, it it filters out some of what is unnecessary what is extraneous and the nuggets have a 114.4 defensive rating when Jokic is on the floor that's not great and they're
0: yeah that, they're that's below average that's below. around like the 20th best defense
1: and so. their and their defense is significantly stronger when he is when he is off the floor now a portion of that is that opponents are making threes at a higher rate when Jokic is out there and he's not and obviously that that is not his fault um, at least not mostly. And and normally that's something we say to it, but opponents do have a really high effective field goal percentage. And a part of that is because they're making 68% of their shots around the basket. And Nicole Jokic is a significant factor there. And if you want to expand it to floater range, and there's been some allegations that the Nuggets are not getting into the same home cooking as the Wizards, but you, know, you could see that factoring in. And so they've given up more floaters and less in the restricted area. And so the, and, and the Nuggets are pretty successful as a defensive rebounding team, and they're not fouling a ton, and they foul a lot less when Jokic is on the floor than when he is off, and there are a bunch of different reasons for that. So if the Nuggets ha- if the Nuggets are struggling on defense overall when he's on the floor, and when you- we've talked about scheme, versatility, and everything else that came up a lot in top 10 players, you know, to argue that Jokic has been a positive defensive player when the team is below average and they're below average in the things that a center is largely supposed to help in, then th- to me, you're it's... I'm guessing that the model is giving too much credit for like the single player who happens to be the one who grabs the defensive rebound as opposed to
0: a few other factors. So it's been all over the news lately with the economy reopening that a lot of companies are looking to hire. And the last thing that you need when you don't have enough staff is to take more time than you need hiring the people that you need to run your business. That's why Indeed is the hiring partner who helps make your life easier. It's as easy as one, two, three. You post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. You get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description, and you get it faster. You only pay for the candidates that meet your must-have qualifications. You can. Schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. And you can immediately get quality candidates whose resumes fit your job description. They also have skills tests that you can choose from more than 130 of. On average, these tools reduce hiring time by 27%. And according to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires. Not candidates. Anyone can be a candidate. Sometimes there are too many candidates. You want hires. Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash cap space. remember slash cap space. Cause we talked about it all the time here on the program, getting $75 credit at indeed.com slash cap space. That's indeed.com slash cap space offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Don't get that slash cap space URL. to let them know that you came from us. It was about a year ago now that there was that massive shortage of toilet paper. Remember that? Even still, it, it seems like you can't get as much as you might want to at the store. And that shed some light for me on the idea that toilet paper is not very environmentally friendly either over twenty-seven thousand trees are cut down each day to make toilet paper and that's why now i use real it's 100 bamboo toilet paper bamboo grows faster than trees it doesn't need to be replanted and it's just a more sustainable material uh, overall it's three ply making it both soft and strong even the tape is plastic free as of course is the rest of their packaging and every roll purchase helps fund access to clean toilets for the 2.4 billion people who currently have to defecate outside so it's good for you it's good for the environment it gets sent right to your house which is awesome with free shipping So you don't have to take up 95% of the room in your shopping cart just with toilet paper. No reason not to give it a try. Listeners of Dunked On get 10% off their first order with the promo code CAPSPACE. Easy to remember that because we talk about it all the time around the program. Visit realpaper.com, R-E-E-L, realpaper.com and use that CAPSPACE code to get 10% off. Don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Yeah, and I think it's just when you're giving Jokic credit for his defense, which all some of these models have him as positive, luck-adjusted, RAPM which adjusts for shooting luck and then it doesn't do but other than that doesn't do any kind of a box score component it's just how good the team is when the guy's on the floor versus when he's off the floor adjusted for the quality of teammates in opposition and you know small sample size especially in this year for for that but Jokic is 384th in the NBA in the luck adjusted defensive RPM. Some of these other metrics like Raptor or EPM, give him like a mild plus on defense and give Curry from anywhere from a mild to actually a pretty big minus on defense. The Curry, they're actually a lot worse defensively when he's on the floor this year. Again, I think he's having one of his better defensive seasons, personally. Like, I haven't watched much to see him doing poorly. He's not as good of a steals guy as he was, but he's also much better as a man defender and not fouling and avoiding mistakes. But part of the reason that you're going to give a plus is that basically any center in theory plays a key defensive role. It's inherent to the position that centers can do more defensively than guards can, you know, unless you're like an Ennis Kanter type, who's just like absolutely atrocious. And I would say Jokic is just like a, among starting centers is probably right about where the Nuggets defenses ranked this year, kind of in the 15 to 20 range or so defensively. But it really comes with the role, right? Like, yes, a guard in football is a better blocker than a wide receiver is in football, right? So if you just said, all right, who we have this advanced metric that just measures how good of a blocker you are, how valuable of a blocker you are. Yeah, like a guard is always going to be more valuable than a wide receiver because if the guard screws up, then your play is over. The guy just goes right into the backfield and ends the possession. Same thing with your center. If he screws up, then you're getting a layup right at the rim, whereas with a guard, yeah, okay, he might blow his assignment, but there's still many other ways to help behind him and more importantly when you look at team building there is an opportunity cost to putting Nikola Jokic at center because it is much harder to surround him with good defensive players than it is to surround Steph Curry with good defensive players you can see that Steph Curry supposedly according to these metrics is a much less valuable defensive player than Nikola Jokic and yet Steph Curry's defense for his entire career has always been way better than Nikola Jokic's defense and that's because of the position that they play you can put guys around Steph Curry to make up for that and there's only so much I mean I, we've seen this again with even the guys who are below Curry and some of these metrics like Devin Booker is a perfect example right is Devin Booker just so much better of a defensive player now than he was last year when his defensive metrics are terrible and the Suns are good now defensively not really he probably is somewhat better but they put other players around him like a, as a a a one or a two, once you move up the positional spectrum, this changes your your defense just isn't as much of a component of your value. Whereas for a center it is. And to give, to say that, well, Nikola Jokic isn't as good of an offensive player as Steph Curry which I don't actually I'm just talking about the metrics here Now I don't actually buy that necessarily I actually think Nicole is probably a more valuable offensive player than Steph Curry this year if if you put a gun to my head but then his defense pushes him over the top when he's a below average defensive center that just doesn't hold water to me like it, it's about the replacement level at your position and Nicole Jokic compared to some just some random center that they could bring in is probably going to be a little bit worse and you can't really have a great defense with them out there for all these reasons. So th- that's a long rant here. But to just say, if you're looking at these value metrics and for them to give, say, all right, Jokic's defense puts them over the top. I, I just don't buy that at all.
1: I don't either, but Jokic, to me, he wins the day because I think that the the value difference between Jokic and Curry defensively over the 2020-21 season is relatively small. And Jokic, and I think the offensive margin is narrow in either direction. Like you, I think that it is a, a very tough decision. Jokic is a remarkable offensive force when you factor in the, the role that he has in the Nuggets offense as a scorer, as a distributor. He doesn't turn the ball over that much either. When you think about how often the ball's in, that's actually a positive for both Jokic and Curry, especially compared to some of their brethren. Like, that is, it is truly impressive. Like, for example, Curry and Jokic, per 100 possessions, per 36 minutes, significantly fewer turnovers than Luka. Um, Not that that's the reason they've had a better year. It's just, you know, worth noting. And, but to me, Jokic-Curry is, per minute, probably, as I see it, fairly close to a wash. And it's hard to parse out, with all of the context stuff, in terms of players that have been available and everything else, and some of the, like, weird team construction with the Warriors, like... Giving Curry a credit because in certain ways because the team doesn't have any other capable ball handler or shooter type guys is, is in certain ways you know you like so that's why kind of why he's been the offensive RPM Dynamo over these years is because they've just never had a good backup point guard but also the offense with him on the floor but the arg but then to me what makes it that they're in the same so that's why they're pretty firmly to me in the same tier but what yeah. puts the biggest thing that puts you over Curry is that let's say it's close either direction unambiguously both players are positive helping out their teams a lot yeah. Jokic has played meaningfully more and so even if even if you wanted to say like I I think it would be hard to say that Curry is so significantly better than Jokic this year that 15% extra playing time or if you want to do it in terms of games 60 68 versus 60 like that's a lot like that's a lot of time that the Nuggets had a stalwart who was the key to their offense Out there that the Warriors did not and you could say you know it's it's unfair and all that kind of stuff doesn't matter that's value value is being there means that your team doesn't have to play somebody else and so, Jokic is absolutely the deserving MVP for me this year.
0: Yeah, I think so. If it, if the numbers, you know, if Steph Curry doesn't miss those gains with the bruised tailbone, I think we're talking about absolute neck-neck. And also, you'd be talking about much closer records for their teams sure. as well. If the Warriors aren't 1-7, in seven, Without Steph Curry, you're looking at a much closer race and maybe Curry wins this in my eyes or it would even just go down to these last four games of the season when I actually expect with the Nuggets kind of looking like they're locked into the four and also that that's where I absolutely would want to be if I were the Nuggets because they're going to they avoid the Lakers, avoid the Clippers uh, on that side of the bracket. Maybe Jokic will get some rest on the end. I I don't necessarily think that would hurt his value, but then Curry, you know, might might uh they've got 4 games left here uh where Curry could pile up a little bit more. If I want to I do still think maybe that Jokic's argument is a better regular season offensive player than Curry. You can we made the argument about defense and replacement level, but I think you also have to make the argument about offense and replacement level because most centers are bad offensive players. They clog things up. Their primary job is defense. Some of them can can shoot. That's really important. And some of them can post up. Nobody can pass like him. Nobody can post up like him except maybe Embiid and well, it, very few if any can shoot.
1: Well, and Jokic like, doesn't have offensive weaknesses. Like that's the other, you know, there oh, there, yeah. there are players who are gifted in certain ways but have things that you can take away from them or ways that you can counter. There aren't particularly good counters for Nikola Jokic. Like put a smaller guy on him, good luck. That's not going to do anything. You want to try to switch a bunch? Okay. Have fun with that. You want to do and he's such a good passer. His passing vocabulary, his velocity his reads, all of it incredible and Another factor that I think is really interesting that isn't coming up enough to me in this conversation, and again, I'm picking Jokic over Curry. There is an element of context which is, that I think is underappreciated here, which is James Wiseman. Which is that there is a general assumption that because most coaches and everything else, they're they're going to put the players on their out there with, who put them in the best condition to win. James Wiseman was an active, actively negative, offensive and defensive player for the Golden State Warriors, and if you need any evidence of that you can look at all sorts of stuff I don't need to drag him that will probably come at other times but that is something fundamentally different that that and while Jokic and both guys have had to deal with absences of teammates and everything else like the Warriors offense ground to a halt basically when James Wiseman was on the floor and in terms of value elevating inferior talent does matter like that's it's I'm not saying it's I'm not picking Curry to win anything like that but having to having to carry somebody who is that active and negative on both ends of the floor but particularly in this case offense because these guys are
0: both offense first players
1: i think it's a part of the conversation that hasn't come up enough
0: well and here i i can add to that as well curry has a plus 4.3 net rating Jokic 7.5 uh, and the offense, only 113.7 when Steph Curry is on the floor. And that's that's a little bit of a demerit uh, to me. Yes. But again, the context matters here. And so essentially, pretty much any time Curry is out there, he's been playing with two total non-shooters and then...
1: Often three.
0: Yeah, well, I, I mean, yeah, I guess Oubre particularly at the beginning of the year. But he's come on to be at least a threat out there. But, you know, Oubre, Wiggins, I mean, none, there's definitely... Almost never is he playing with any kind of plus shooter other than himself. And if you look at the minutes, one of the few times when they actually have anything approaching normal NBA spacing this day and age, which is when they go with Draymond Green at center, one twenty one point seven offensive rating, which is per cleaning the glass, which is basically like the absolute best you can get. I mean, you so, can ex-
1: you can expand yeah. it beyond that. Even just when Curry's on the floor without Wiseman, it's a one twenty point two. So even with the Looney
0: minutes. <laughs> yeah no that's that's a good point point. and yeah Draymond it's like Draymond and he are kind of symbiotic and kind of not uh, I would say more so but particularly more so when you also don't have another big center on the floor next to to Draymond and you've got some more spacing here's another thing that I think is interesting about Curry this is in just in pure raw terms obviously in this high offense environment you take all this with a grain of salt relative to league he was much better in 1560 and you know so some of the numbers like his P. PR, for example in 15 16 was 31.5 up there among the best of all time and that's what jokic is this year as well uh and his true shooting percentage relative to league was a couple of points higher and actually is even slightly higher than it is this year but in terms of the volume this year curry is up to 34.5 usage it was 32.6 back in 15 16 and he's basically just as efficient so just in terms of like volume plus efficiency at uh 66 true shooting for curry again this year this is maybe the The most efficient volume scoring season in NBA history. And here's another comparison to 2015-16 compared to now and he's regularly having these games where he's taking like 20 threes now which is insane 15-16 he shot 45% for three this year's 43 but he's taking even more threes uh if you look at the number of threes that Steph Curry is averaging per game he's taking even more than he was back in 15-16 he's taking 12.6 per game he's taking games lately where he's like regularly shooting 20 threes a game it was 11.2 back in 15-16 despite the fact that his threes per game are up only 2.6 of those 12.6 threes per game are classified as wide open which is basically like you catch the ball you got time to set your feet and shoot it without having to what a normal shooter would consider rushing or being on the move the degree of difficulty of his shots has gone way up if you the 2.6 threes that Steph takes per game and remember he's taking 12.6 which is number one per game number of threes by a mile those 2.6 is 65th in the NBA in actually open threes wide open threes per game compare that to back in 2016 he was taking fewer threes but 3.5 per game were wide open instead of 2.6 and six of the his threes per game are considered open but the way he shoots if you just watch it you know i would say you're closer to maybe like two of these three of these per game are ones that like a normal shooter would consider like an easy like spot up three where you know and most of those are like off of offensive rebounds maybe it's in transition every once in a while otherwise he's open but it's four feet behind in the line or he's coming off a screen or he's backing up and and getting his footwork right like it's just insane the type of threes that he's taking like you when you watch teams defend him like even okc last night i was at that game it wasn't like you know they're just doing a terrible job just letting him get wide open threes like you know a couple of times they got hammered on a screen and nobody helped and he got pretty open but most of these are just like every single one of these shots that are going in you're just like jesus christ like like nobody else he's making shots that like maybe one or two guys in the league could make some of them that nobody could make and that's all the threes that he's making are like that this year. I it's mean, completely ridiculous. Curry's so I looked on synergy.
1: His jump shots off the dribble one point two one points per possession. That is bananas. Yeah, and also exactly the same as it was in fifteen sixty. Um, which you think about the degree of difficulty in the context and and it's it's an amazing statement that jokic like curry is having this unbelievable you know perimeter offensive season and jokic deservedly you know like he is he is at that same level of overall offensive impact i mean he's doing it in a different way but he's been absolutely incredible uh so do you i don't know if you did tears but do you agree with me that it's kind of those two guys and everyone else
0: uh yes i do and let me see if i had any other interesting stats on these guys here I've been working with Masterclass now for probably four years, ever since Steph Curry's class on shooting and ball handling came out. And I still find more classes that I'm enjoying. My wife and I have actually been sitting down together and watching Gordon Ramsay's class and learning a ton about cooking technique that basically we're applying right away. More her than me, if we're being honest, because it is the NBA playoffs after all. I don't have a ton of time for cooking right now. But I'm just continually wowed by the quality of Masterclass Just even when they're filming him doing the class, they've got like four different cameras there. They'll show you an overhead view above him of what he's doing in the pan or the bowl. It's really just remarkable. And really, whatever you're... Interest is, and however deep you want to go into it, whether you want to just watch the videos, whether you want to work through the downloadable materials as well, and you can watch it on iOS, Android. We're casting it to our Chromecast, super easy. The way to get started with them and get unlimited access to every masterclass and fifteen percent off an annual membership is to go to masterclass.com/capspace. Easy to remember because we talk about it all the time here on the program. That's masterclass.com/capspace for fifteen percent off masterclass. Don't forget that slash capspace to let them know that you came from us. I mean, I think ultimately, though, like the, what sealed it for me also with Jokic in addition to the more minutes is what they've done in this crazy stretch after Jamal Murray went down. Not only Jamal Murray went down, I mean, they basically at, at points they've had like Facundo Compazzo and then they're starting like MPJ at the two. Like they don't have anyone else who can dribble or do anything other than Compazzo right. during this period. Like Monte Morris has been out. BJ Dozier is injured now. Will Barton's they, missed just- time. Yeah, but yeah Barton has had this hamstring who knows when he's coming back so they just have like, he's they've been completely relying on him and offensively they haven't missed a beat at all it's really been absolutely remarkable but yeah let's uh uh, the, that is the top tier because i i think you fall down into this next group where as you mentioned like Embiid is number three for me despite the fact that he's only played the, the 49 games it'll, it'll presumably they're gonna have some time to rust guys but he'll presumably he'll play a couple more games here but he, he's gonna be you know end up 20 games played fewer than jokic in a shorter season but I still despite all the shit that we just said about Steph Curry and Nicole Jokic and how unbelievable they are Joel Embiid I think still on a per play basis has been better than either of those guys this year but it's just the the 20 game difference uh, with Jokic and it'll end up being you know over 500 minutes less than Curry you know 30 percent fewer minutes or so than Curry probably in the end ultimately like that's gonna be too much to overcome do you agree with me though that Embiid still has been the best guy on a per play basis this year
1: Embiid is my permanent MVP and I actually So I have a group, my, my, uh, tier, my next tier goes from three to eight the last guy i'm a little bit dicey on but let's say let's say it goes three to eight and i will fully acknowledge that uh, that within that this next week i don't think anybody's going to jump between tiers but i fully expect people to move within it that's how close this is like that's the whole idea is that you can make credible arguments in any direction and be playing a higher proportion of his team's games the rest of the season versus what he did before which hopefully is going to happen that that can shift things and also like i when you can provide the context of the reason the guy isn't playing is because they've clinched their seed then i try not to factor that in as much because he's already, you know, done the value to help get the team to the point. But I actually ended up, I have Embiid as my permanent MVP. And I remember for those who remember this closely in in the last awards we did, I said, I didn't feel comfortable putting my permanent MVP lower than fourth. I have Embiid sixth. And the reason why is just because he played so much less. And I didn't think it was personally fair to some of the other guys in this tier who have been on the floor a lot more. Yeah, Embiid, permanent MVP. And let's just say that him being my permanent MVP will factor in another piece of awards that we will discuss later, which is going to be interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, his the, what, what makes the Embiid case for me is that... Curry and and Jokic, I mean, we had these arguments about whether they're, you know, a positive and negative, slight positive, slight negative, neutral on defense. Embiid is not as impactful overall as those two gentlemen are offensively. But instead of being an ambiguous on that, he is a clear cut positive defensively at the league's most important defensive position.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The Sixers defense when he's on the floor, about a 105 defensive rating. Some of the defensive impact metrics are a little bit lower on his value, but I I think pretty clearly a top five defensive player in the NBA. And that's been the case over multiple years. I, I feel very comfortable with that. He still might be the biggest intimidator at the rim. When he's in position now, he's not in position as often as some, or he's not able to get on the floor as often as others, but nonetheless that's a big part of it and then offensively he's not far behind no I mean, if you just look at his his individual statistics 64 true shooting highest free throw rate basically since Shaq. Uh, he's essentially in terms of like usage and efficiency right there with the rest of these guys and then even the offense when he's on the floor right up there be, uh better than the warriors with curry on the floor not quite as good as Jokic or some of the nets guys or some of the clippers guys but also looking at the talent around him having to deal with Ben Simmons and his negative spacing in the half court and really no other proven playmakers. They got a decent ISO score and shooter with Harris, but you know, certainly below average, I would say offensive talent around Joel Embiid compared to a lot of these stars. And to push them to that level of an offensive performance is very, very impressive. So it's, it's that two-way impact that I agree with you that it probably would be uh, for me the per-minute MVP. So, so I have him third. I think he, to me, is just so much better than some of these other guys that I couldn't lower him any more than third. Uh, but I do have Damian Lillard as fourth. He really had gone downhill. And then this late finishing kick that's probably going to get Portland up to at least the sixth seed, it's looking like. He kind of reassessed things and, you know, was dealing with a hamstring injury, it was able to come back and start cooking again. Overall number is not quite as good just in terms of his personal statistics as Jokic or Curry, and I don't think that he has as much of their gravity he's had a much probably i would say not much of a defensive ecosystem around him but a better offensive ecosystem around him even with some of the absences they had because the blazers always have good shooting out on the floor they always have a good scoring center out there as well they're pretty good on the offensive glass etc so uh, i think he's got a, a better offensive ecosystem than certainly curry and maybe even you could say Jokic, depending on uh what time of year you're gonna you're gonna look at it but uh third in offensive raptor for Lillard his defensive numbers are terrible but again I explain why I don't put too much stock in that uh, for guards and uh, third in estimated plus minus on offense overall 62% true shooting 31.6% usage and very good offense and and I think a, a team that's and he also has played more than some he's at uh 63 games which is one of the higher guys on this list i think probably the second highest of legitimate candidates except for one who we'll talk about but uh so so lillard i think is here part of that is a little bit more of a volume case and again this is the guy that i I ranked i think number 10 in the nba but uh, and also his clutch performance as well this season has been a big part of why the blazers are actually gonna be decent this year in the end
1: and and well i have uh... I have Lillard a little bit lower, but like clutch performance, you can, there's an element of it that doesn't necessarily persist from year to year, though we all know about Dame time at this point. It is still value he provided this year. Like that was something that came up in the Russell Westbrook MVP argument all those years ago was that, you know, but yeah, maybe Russell Westbrook isn't going to propel this kind of insane clutch success year after year, but it doesn't have to be predictive to be value in this case. I ended up to me the, the one of the like, kind of, I don't think we should spend a lot of time on this, but differentiators for me was I had Luka Doncic over Damian Lillard and a Big part of the reason why is because lucas just insane role within the mavericks offense i mean so he is shooting more shots, you know, 36% usage. So that's, I like to think of usage as, you know, like the shots you take plus turnovers, but also just a crazy assist volume. Luca.
0: Yeah, the the playmaking usage is probably, I, I haven't looked at Ben Taylor's stats on this or, or assess like total usage, but I, I'm pretty sure that Luca would be highest in the league on that.
1: Yes, and so for me, I, I that that was a, you know, a tiebreaker of sorts for me. It's just that he has a lot to do and he does it very well. And while Luca is a less efficient, Efficient individual scorer than Lillard, many people are. He can help propel the team, and I think that they they have. Fewer offensive pieces, even though Dallas, you know, has has plenty of, of good ones They're and they're m- more dependent. And so, yes, Willard played less with CJ McCollum this year than he would like than he would have liked to and everything else. But I, I, I but again, they're both in the same tier. I don't want to spend too much time with it.
0: I've been working with Indochino since way back in 2015. They outfitted my wedding with a tuxedo and sport coats for my groomsmen. I've got a number of suits from them as well. There's nothing like that feeling of knowing that your clothes just fit perfectly and you're not gonna get that at some store. You're not gonna get that off the rack. Yeah, they say that they can customize it for you, But why should you start with something that's made for someone else and get them to try to make it fit you? Instead, Indochino makes stuff for you that fits perfectly. Whether it's custom-fitted suits, shirts, casual wear, and more, it's all at surprisingly affordable prices. Their suits start at just $399 with all customizations included. Each piece is made to your exact measurements. You can customize every detail. The fabric, the lapel, the monogram. They've got awesome statement linings as well. Whether you want to go into one of their many North American showrooms, Or book a virtual style consultation, just go to Indochino.com and you can get $50 off any purchase of $399 or more by using the code CAPSPACE at checkout. Easy to remember CAPSPACE, which I put all the time around the program. That's $50 off a purchase of $399 or more at Indochino, I N D O C H I N O, Indochino.com. Promo code CAPSPACE. Don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know you came from us.
1: I actually think it might be worth just for me rattling off the players that are in this group, and then we can kind of talk about the ones that we haven't discussed yet. Again, the order matters a lot less here. I did spend time thinking about it, but it isn't as much. They're all in the same group. And so I actually had Giannis third, and my Giannis argument is actually very similar to the one that you made for Joel Embiid. The difference is that Giannis Antetokounmpo played a lot more. You know, Embiid's at 49 games right now. Giannis is at 57. We'll see where that works out. And Giannis, not as valuable as Embiid offensively. You know, he has a big role, but I'm not quite the same level of the same level of overall, you know, efficiency. Part of that because Embiid gets to the line a metric ton and is a is a better free throw shooter. You know, eighty six percent for Embiid versus Giannis, but also because. Giannis's defensive value is is incredibly high. I mean, not that it is is low for Joel and but the way I've described this in previous like defensive player of the year conversations is that the math problem still works for the Bucks when Giannis is on the floor. And the big one of the big reasons why I had Giannis third is because the defense works so well. And there is some opponent shooting luck in it it worked. The defense succeeded when Giannis played with Bobby Portis. And yes, in certain of the, you know those circumstances, you could say who's the center and all this type of stuff. But like Bobby Portis is not a significantly, he's, he's better, I would say, a little bit defensively than he was in his last couple stops. But it is Giannis that is doing the heavy lifting there. Some of those lineups had like DJ Augustine and other limited players. And so in many ways, he's not the system like Rudy Gobert is defensively. But to be able to do that with his offensive role, that puts him firmly in this conversation. And as the, the two-way guy in this who also played the more who played more minutes, that's what kind of pushed him third, because you and I both love two way players.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's ridiculous to say that Giannis is that high. You know, looking at all the one-number metrics on most of them, he's kind of in the 5 to 10 range this year, whereas last year and the year before, he was really, he was right at the top five in basically everything that you would look at. And overall, the Bucks have just eased into this season a little bit more. Uh, he's had more offensive talent around him, I would say, uh, this year. I am glad that the free-throw shooting is improving. I'm not going to—I do think he's uh, a little bit less athletic, little bit less of a dominating force in transition, for example, but playing more minutes uh, per game this year than he did last year. So yeah, totally fine to have him at number three. I think Justin Embiid has been, and we're talking now between Embiid and Giannis of you know a, an issue of eight games. I think Embiid has been better enough than Giannis. I think it's about a three hundred minute difference between those two. I think Embiid has been better enough than Giannis to overcome that three hundred yeah, minutes.
1: and I, and I'm fine in with that. I, I have I have them in the same tier, but it's to me that's that's a lot of minutes for me. Like you think about just not having that player on the floor for that amount of time uh my number four is luca and we've already kind of gone we've gone through that yeah
0: let me talk about him a little bit i did not have him in my top five he's in kind of this next group uh and he certainly has played plenty but just the overall offense with him on the floor just hasn't been as spectacular this season uh certainly not relative to the league i think he's actually got more spacing around him than most of these guys I mean, that's the crazy thing about this year is that, like the only two guys who are top 10 players, at least in our eyes, when we did our rankings that are on the same team are LeBron and AD. So that's part of why I think the league is actually going to be, we talked about this in our 2021 or 2023 preview, I should say, uh, is that, you know, there isn't really that super team that's forming right now. And so I think there's going to be a lot of parity with all these great players kind of leading their own teams. Uh, so, but I just don't think that Luca is quite at the level, uh, as he, or at least in terms of the offense, as he was last year, maybe if he'd been able to hold on to some of those three point shooting gains that that started to fall off just a little bit and I think I would have liked to have seen where the Mavs would have been if they hadn't gotten totally wrecked by COVID this year, because since they really got back from that, they've been kind of the exact team that we thought. And hey, they're probably going to be the fifth seed, which after all the shit that they went through this year is pretty good that they're actually going to finish better than last year. And they could even, they might even win a round as well. That'll be, that'll be interesting to see uh, if it's Denver versus Dallas. i have to really think about that and see who's healthy before I make that pick. So, uh, Lucas, just, I, I don't know. There, I, I, you could again I, I think your your three to eight idea is totally fine um and I think even you know Kawhi KD and LeBron who I didn't have in my top five obviously KD has only played a thousand minutes that's a problem for him but in terms of just how they've played this year like I think all those guys could have had an arm for actually being the MVP if they had played a little bit more Kawhi give you his stats here quickly did you have him in this group Kawhi yeah
1: yes he's he's eight
0: yeah so Kawhi a little under 1700 minutes 62% true shooting one of the more positive defenders in this group probably behind Giannis and Embiid for that and almost 40% from three offensive rating when he's on the floor for the Clippers is over 121 12.0 12.0 net rating. That's basically about as good as it gets when you don't play for the Utah Jazz and you're not Joel Embiid this year. So, But the number of games for Kawhi is a problem and the number of minutes is a problem. He's basically few more minutes than Embiid uh but only 49 games and LeBron I mean he was I think the last time we did this although he had just gone down with the ankle he actually was my MVP he was a lot of people's MVP early in the process but obviously uh just hasn't played since then the on-off numbers for him were really good when you look at how bad this Lakers offense has been without him to actually get them to be pretty average when he was out there was good but again only uh looking like it's gonna be 41 games for LeBron maybe he'll get Get a couple in here at the end, or sorry, forty-three games for LeBron, and that's that's obviously not enough. Was there anyone else that you wanted to discuss in this? I, I have yes. one more that we haven't hit on yet.
1: I have one more, and it's my number five, and that's Rudy Gobert. Okay. Yeah. Rudy Gobert. I So the way I phrased this at the bi I did a little write ups for each of these, which I um and what I said is for those who believe that defense is as important as offense in the regular season, you could make an argument that Gobert should be first tier because I don't. And that's part of why he's second tier for me. Um, But the Jazz have done. You could. I, I think of Gobert in some ways as the reverse Luca where he, it's a heliocentric defense. And their defense has been phenomenal. I mean, 103.2 cleaning the glass defensive rating when he's on the floor. That's 98th percentile. And the Jazz are dominant in the things that Gobert does best. Their rim protection is unbelievable. Their defensive rebounding. They don't foul. Um, Teams do shoot poorly from three in Gobert's minutes. So that makes things a little bit better. And that's something teams can control less. But they're not taking shots around the basket. They're not having success making those shots. And Gobert is absolutely a positive offensive player. He is not as positive as many of these other players. He has a much smaller role within the offense. But he's the defensive player of the year. He is an offensive positive. He has played a ton of minutes and and is has been remarkably durable. And so I he is firmly in this conversation to me and we talked about the weirdness of like you had Damian Willard who had 10th Gobert wasn't in my top 10 players at all and he's my number five in MVP
0: yeah well and he's been incredibly durable as well and and I agree with you about defense generally not being as important as offense due to the higher replacement level on defense KP actually wrote an interesting piece about this uh, over the weekend saying that the distribution across the league the difference between the best and worst offense is much larger than the difference between the best and worst defense these days gobert you mentioned what it is with him on the floor he kind of turns that on its head a little bit because 103 is way better than the overall best defense but i think you can only get so good defensively whereas Offensively, you can just push the envelope a little bit more uh, as well, and, and as I mentioned, the the replacement level. But I, I go bear probably you know in the seven range or so, and I, the fact that he's played a ton of minutes hasn't gotten hurt. And when you just look at the impact metrics, he's right up there by any of these impact metrics. Of course, driven again by the defense. So if you wanted to have a, you know if you want to have him three, I would quibble with you five. I don't think that I would actually. I, you know, I'm not sure. Yeah, that, that's tough to say. I mean, to say that, like, Gobert is a more valuable player than Luka Doncic, I I don't know if I can quite get to that. Maybe I'm just too much of a traditionalist there. Uh, but certainly rewarding his durability as well in this ridiculous season where durability means more than it ever has, and particularly more than it ever has because you have fewer games and these games mean more now with the, the play-in and well, teams and, being closer together at the end.
1: Well, and the other part about playing a lot of minutes is that Gobert is the system defensively i mean utah's defensive rating is a 103.6 it was 103.2 when i when i did my stats it's now 103.6 and some of it is is shooting but that 103.6 goes to 115.3 when Gobert is off the floor so if it's a one-man gang offensively or defensively and you're on the floor more then that means the other team that your team doesn't have to figure it out as much and when you think about utah's personnel and you could there there's an argument to make that this is a challenge like if gobert ever missed time because favors hasn't been the guy that they hope for and everything else is that they have to figure it out you have to get in everything else and i did bring up the shooting luck that is important to consider but to me that is value you know like the the idea that it, it is his show they built the defense and the personnel really around it he's done it no one else has that's value
0: all right, well, that was a great 50-minute podcast on MVP. I will be back <laughs> tomorrow with the rest of... Well, uh, it, okay. it,
1: it does cover yeah. a lot of ground in terms of our All-NBA, though.
0: Um, okay, well, well let's uh, let's get to the centers then. Uh, first team all uh, or first, second, and third team All-NBA. Uh, first team center, Jokic, second, Embiid, third, Gobert, and I don't... Uh, below there I mean, apologies to bam Adebayo and carl anthony towns and clint capella i think that's about it as far as guys that even would were playing at anywhere close to an all-nba type of level but as you mentioned about gobert i mean for him to be third when you know he probably is the top 10 in all mvp that's how good the centers were this year so they're really just in, in sort of, in any metric that you're going to look at there really is just no argument that you should have anybody on those three teams other than Jokic and beat and gobert but is Jokic and be gobert the order that you had.
1: I ended up actually going with Embiid over Jokic. It doesn't make a difference in terms of like, you know, money or as far as I it or anything with those guys. And I, if to get into my difference in criteria between MVP and All-NBA, I am more zealously than you. My philosophy has always been, as long as you meet the thresholds, and they aren't always firm, but you have an idea. For me, it is it, it is entirely about quality rather than quantity. Now, quantity is nice because it can help confirm it, make sure that there's less sample by, and all that type of stuff, but Embiid has been my permitted MVP for the whole league this year. And so some would say, oh, it's weird to have it's weird to have your overall MVP not your first team All NBA. For me, it would be weirder to not have my permitted MVP as my All NBA, as long as he's played enough minutes, which Embiid clearly has for this. Like you know, playing playing that is enough. So I'm fine with people like I, your criteria is not the same as mine for All NBA. So like it is a little bit weird to have my MVP there, but. MP has been that valuable and I I wanted to make that distinction this year
0: yeah I understand that viewpoint I have more of a hybrid view I definitely do try to reward just who I think the best players were uh, and also even to some degree who the best players are in addition to just who provides the most value MVP does somewhat of a different criteria to me but well, in I some, in some ways,
1: MVP yeah. benefits from having more specific criteria in the sense that, like, and for example, for, for the record, I don't consider player quality at all. Like, I think it's just about, it's the body of work for that season. But I don't criticize you for yours. It's just a difference of opinion.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll use, I use that as a, a tiebreaker if needed. But yeah, I think that the... Well, I agree with you on Embiid being a little bit better than Jokic uh, per play this year, that Jokic has such an advantage that it outweighs it. Not Again, not as much as it is an MVP. Um, And then, yeah, I think Gobert, though, because Embiid has been so much better than Gobert, even when Gobert has played so much more, then that trumps Gobert's uh, additional playing time. But center was pretty easy. Let's do forward now.
1: Yeah. So forward is probably the clearest articulation of the, of the way that I see all NBA, which is that it's most outstanding rather than most valuable. And so my first team is Giannis and LeBron and LeBron hasn't played nearly as much, but he was damn good when he played and he played enough, you know, 1400 minutes to me is is enough, especially in this 72 game season, as opposed to 82. We, we know how good he was and especially, and you know it doesn't matter to me necessarily that his injury was the type that you come back from or anything else he to me to me LeBron has been overall the best forward and I mean there are two other guys in this conversation we might as well talk about all four of them at the same time the other two being Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant and the reason why part of part of why went LeBron over the other two is the combination of offense and defense and while the Lakers defense has kept on trucking almost irrespective of who was on the floor which is super impressive for Frank Vogel LeBron has been an absolute defensive positive this year in a way that Kevin Durant has not
0: well I mean KD, you mentioned you have to get to the threshold you got to play half the season he's not even going to play 36 games so he's he's pretty much would be disqualified for me certainly in this company right i mean once once you get down to comparing kd to like you know a julius randall level a guy then it's like okay maybe the fact that kd was just so much better could trump it. but when it, you're talking about guys that are even closer maybe even one tier down like no you're pretty much disqualified if you're not even going to get to 36 game in this 72 game season which uh, kd unfortunately is not going to a couple of those absences were due to the covid protocols but nonetheless you just you got to play half the season in my view so i actually had Kawhi on my first team and part of that too is that lebron is it seems like he may not play the rest of the season Kawhi seems like he's back now and the lakers have free fallen without lebron and maybe maybe that is a an indicator that he's very valuable which of course he is and the clippers haven't free fallen quite as much without Kawhi, but it also shows you how damaging it is for lebron james to miss games if he had played seven more games then maybe they're not in the play and ultimately too, you know the Clippers numbers with Kawhi on the floor a little bit better. I mean I think it's I would maybe say LeBron's like slightly better than Kawhi like I think Kawhi's candidacy for all these awards has been woefully underweight under uh, rated all season so I Begrudgingly went with Kawhi on first team. I very easily could have gone with LeBron as well. So, LeBron is then on my second team. uh And you say, All right, LeBron 43 games versus the 31 and Kevin Durant. Well, LeBron is, you know, six games, 10 games fewer than some of these other candidates. And KD is like 20 games fewer than some of these other candidates. So, that's just so much more of a difference. That's why I draw the distinction between LeBron and KD. But yeah, you've gotten with beta breath. Did you do? Kevin Durant despite the fact that he's going to play uh you know less than half the season
1: yep he's been that good I mean I I I understand your reluctance to play I mean and Durant is the challenge because it's it's straight up like does he meet that threshold um and for me he gets close enough and part of it also is that I didn't love the cases of the next tier as much you know like it it wasn't my it wasn't my favorite year it wasn't like oh see
0: that's surprising to me I think I think the next year has been awesome i think like jimmy butler and paul george those guys even zion i think those guys are very deserving
1: they're very they're very deserving candy. but like they're not it's not like it's insane it's not, i i don't feel like don't, uh,
0: in most years i would feel very comfortable with any of those guys being an all nba second team player like I, I think those guys have all been awesome so that that's part of why it made it easier for me to to leave kd off but i guess you, you're not as impressed with some of these other
1: guys no, i mean their cases aren't bad but like for me like for example like Kevin Durant has been meaningfully better to me than Zion so like I'm not gonna and yeah Zion missing the rest of the year which sucks but it's you know that is that is kind of its own thing and also Zion not being point Zion the whole year like that game but like Durant I would say off the cuff probably I didn't do all the work on this probably in definitely in the top 10 best offensive players this year arguably in the top five and it's just that that's a that's a hard that's a hard bar to 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 leave somebody off for, but I understand why you would.
0: So let's let's well, keep going. Yeah. K- KD, I mean, just to to give you an idea of how good KD uh, has been this season: thirty-two percent usage, sixty-seven percent shooting. That's even better than Steph, and he's just doing it with completely ridiculous jump shooting. And nets over a ten net rating when KD plays, over a one-twenty offensive rating when he plays uh, as well. And. This uh, stat is not, this is just more of a fun stat. On three-pointers with quote-unquote tight coverage, so that's the defender two to four feet away. I mean, that's basically what we would look at as like a heavily contested jump shot for most NBA players. He has taken 73 threes with tight coverage. This is per the tracking data. And he's made 53.4% of those.
1: That's unreal.
0: The next highest player with over 25 attempts is Bryn Forbes, and he's made 43% of those shots. (laughs) it's just bat shit insane and obviously being seven feet tall really helps and having that high release really helps and all that but i mean that is just preposterous contested jump shooting that and yeah that's not going to sustain but even doing that over 73 attempts is utterly ridiculous and i mean he's not getting to the line as much he's not getting to the rim as much even with having a lot of spacing on this nets team he's not really getting amazing separation anymore and it just doesn't matter he's just shooting right over guys it's, it's totally ridiculous so uh i so kd was not on any of my teams okay i really struggled with whether to go with paul george or jimmy butler as my other forward and i ultimately went with paul george this was this was probably my hardest struggle probably even more so than third team the, the last guard spot on third team guard which is the other one that i really struggled with almost all these impact metrics are pretty similar and then like for raptor for example paul george is six butler is eight they're all like right in that type of range five to 15 range they've played very similar amount of minutes as well both of them have kind of missed time uh, butler missed some due to covid which uh, george didn't has been more to in injury ultimately though i just the number with george on the floor are awesome for the clippers even when, when Kawhi hasn't played his three-point shooting i think his off-ball game has been really valuable he's not playmaking nearly as much as butler obviously he's not getting to the line but butler just has a few more weaknesses i would say butler's a little bit better than george now defensively
1: i i, th- I think he is um
0: neither of them are really as good a man stoppers george does more getting through screens butler probably a little bit better as a help and a steals guy uh just a more of a physical presence so you could very easily have jimmy butler over paul george as we had them i think they are 12th and 13th i couldn't could barely decide who i would have a uh, higher in our player rankings i think george though just because of what the clippers have done this year i've got to put him a little bit ahead of uh butler and the, and the heat and a lot of the heat struggles haven't been butler's problem but I, I think butler does have some weaknesses remember for example how now the heat are taking off since they got trevor Ariza and he's jay crowder 2.0 and he's making threes again but before they got that guy they didn't have a great shooter at the four but because butler is a terrible shooter at the three now they basically had three nine shooters on the floor all the time and their offense really struggled in part because of the fact that jimmy butler can't do as much off the ball so again totally splitting hairs here no arguments to have jimmy butler ahead of paul george but i went with paul george here so uh, to to, but- to yeah.
1: complicate matters even further i saw this as a three-man argument and the third player that i had in this conversation is zion williamson and to so if i end so okay a, a couple other pieces of information that you that you didn't mention not out of you know income completeness but just other things that I that I thought about a lot in this. So one is the role within the offense. So Jimmy Butler 27 usage 7.6 assists per per 36 minutes and actually a lower turnover rate than paul george paul george 30 usage so mar- modestly higher but much lower for uh sorry so he's at uh 5.6 assists per 36 minutes and zion kind of a, a blending between the yeah. two zion
0: george's passing is underrated actually. it's underrated that, but it's, mean he doesn't get enough credit
1: it's underrated him. but it's also not something he does that much like he's not bad at it but it's something that he you know the
0: partially know, he's the, aver- isn't he averaging the same assist but basically uh, as Jimmy Butler
1: no 5.6 versus 7.6 per 36
0: oh but oh yeah I didn't realize Butler was that yes yeah. uh, I'm sorry no it was Kawhi he and Kawhi, he and Kawhi, are are Kawhi. Pretty, yes oh yeah they're so they're almost like, identical yeah.
1: yeah and um and and Paul George you could argue his playmaking usage is a little hybrid because he turns the ball over more but um but with for me part of why Zion is in there I mean yeah you can there there are a couple phases of the role within the offense is then you can get into the this stuff about efficiency and so as an individual scorer Butler despite shooting 20 percent on three hundred possessions, 60% true shooting, Paul George 61, and they're actually 0.4% away from each other. Zion, 65%, that ridiculous, the ridiculous efficiency that he has. And the other part of it, you you brought up the idea of, like, with Paul George, one of these two-star teams, parsing the with and without Kawhi. And there are a lot of other issues with the Clippers, but, like, I use cleaning the glasses, so, because it filters out garbage time. Kawhi and Paul George together have been an absolute buzzsaw. Plus 18 net rating. The team is also shooting 45% from three in those minutes. Kawhi without Paul George. Plus six net rating. Still very good team. Also still ridiculous shooting, and that tones down. Paul George without Kawhi. This is, as I did, it doesn't include uh, their Sunday loss to the Knicks. I, I I had already compiled my stats. Plus one net rating. And their offense is one twelve. That's Yeah, that's
0: that's lower than I thought. Yeah. I, I should have looked at it's that. It's one twelve. And so I like, assumed it was better than it was because they've won a fair number of games without Kawhi.
1: And so and and yes, there is context in terms of who plays and who doesn't, and that the Clippers haven't shot nearly as well in those minutes, and a lot of that is you would think is not going to sustain, but it is over the course of the season, and those are all fourteen hundred to nineteen hundred possessions. So the, the actually the volume is actually pretty similar. And so for for me, that was that kind of tied in with something that had that had been festering with me in terms of the Paul George, Jimmy Butler, Zion thing, which is basically that Paul George has been has been as good as the other two, but I think he has been less important to his team's success. And so, as a tiebreaker, they're all wonderful players. I want to do that, and also the de- like the degree of difficulty for Zion versus Paul George, where you and I have harped on the Stephen Adams acquisition in terms of the challenge offensively some of the limitations that this new orleans team has in terms of personnel that they didn't fit and i don't factor in that they didn't figure that sam vangotti didn't give the ball zion you know didn't that didn't point zion didn't come until halfway through zion doesn't get credit for that like it's not like we pretend that it happened the whole way through that count counts for player ratings but it doesn't here but there yeah. is a i
0: mean that that's the big difference for me is just if he had played the way that he'd played after february 1st all season then i would have him as uh as good as butler or Jordan. But ultimately, it didn't matter because I had all of them on, on my shirt. Sure. Team,
1: but and I didn't and have for me, I, that, I, that that decided. created the challenge because then because I had Durant in. I might actually consider removing Durant. I, I That because I hadn't in my brain, I didn't realize that it was below half the season. And that is, you know what? I'm going to do that. I think that once you're yeah. that far below, so then that's going to move. I'm going to move Butler to second team and then I'm going to put Paul George to replace Um, because that, that is that, I think that is the threshold and Durant has been better, but yeah, so I'm going to move them. So I'm gonna have, I have Butler over Zion over George, but they all make teams. Congratulations to all three of those gentlemen. Um, and that that makes i mean yeah. you could say that makes durant my closest omission but it's also a kind of a different circumstance well
0: uh, yeah I, I think uh i would be interested to see what the fewest number of games in terms of percentage of the season a player has ever played to make all nba
1: yeah we've be, heard I'd that be, a lot in, in mvp yeah. because of the bill Walt because of the walton and bead stuff yeah. but we haven't really heard it in terms of all nba uh, are there any other yeah. forwards that you think had a like the way i like to describe it as seriously considered not versus lightly considered like was there anybody else that you think Warrens, cons- Warren's mention here
0: well i think we do have to talk about julius randall because sure. i'm my guess would be that he's going to make it and certainly he's going to feature in another award later as well having a wonderful season i said early on that i didn't think he should make the all-star team over bam and butler i still feel that way over butler but i think he's probably had a better season than bam overall and so certainly uh, if we we're going to redo the all-star teams now at the end of the year he would be a worthy all-star selection in the east However, they're really if you there's no metric that you can look at where he's close to Zion or Butler or George. If you look at some of the impact metrics, for example, 47th in PER, which would probably help him, you would think due to his box score stats. 28th in Raptor, 418th in the NBA in luck adjusted RAPM, 437th in luck adjusted offensive RAPM. Now, of course, part of that is because he's playing on this ridiculous. Starting unit with Alfred Payton and a center, and basically just having no spacing at all. And then you just look at his overall stats uh, too, right? He's 57% true shooting, 29% usage, and the the assists are nice, but I wouldn't say he's any better in those categories as a playmaker than Zion. Once he shifted to running point, more George or Butler. Zion stats. Fourth in the NBA in PER, sixty-five percent true shooting, pretty similar usage. I Julius Randle is average efficiency, and Zion is one of the most efficient players. Or,
1: or, or if you want to use like offensive Raptor, Zion is twenty-third in the NBA, and Julius Randle is sixty-sixth.
0: Yeah, Randle makes up for some of that with his defense over Zion, but it's just to me, it's just not close when you look at how hard these guys are to stop as well that you know there are guys in the league who can guard julius randy he'll, he'll make some tough shots he did today against the clippers and you do wonder how much some of that is is sustainable but it's also worth noting that those plays don't really create for other players he's not getting double teamed on a lot of those plays his and this comes in at most improved but he's shooting 16 of his shots at the rim this year he just is not able to get there again part of that's due to the spacing or lack thereof that the knicks have but it's just a, there's no statistical. Argument other than the Knicks have been a big surprise, and man, look at all these awesome contested jump shots he's making. Doesn't that look cool? Oh, and did I mention he plays in New York?
1: Yeah, having a wonderful year, just not one of the six best forwards in the league this year.
0: Yeah, but but certainly we we had to talk about that. Apologies to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum; they'd be in that same group probably uh, with Randall. If you told me I had to put someone else on there, though, it probably would be KD. And now that brings us to guard Steph Curry. I think we'll be on both of our first teams. We talked about him at length i think between luca and lillard very close could go either way i went with lillard in the end uh but uh, luca could certainly be right up there uh, as well for me i i wouldn't argue with you if you put him above yeah.
1: Lillard. and i had it the, i had it the other way i had luca over lillard and then to me the clear-cut fourth spot again remember this is a different calibrator than mvp goes to james harden And I thought Harden, even with the sandbagging in Houston, had an absolutely excellent season when he was able to be on the floor. If you want to look at some of the overall metrics, Harden, fifth in offensive Raptor. I think he's sixth in uh, offensive EPM, estimated plus minus. And I mean, he's just, he's been amazing this year. If you want to do the kind of the overall counting stats.
0: Yeah, great, great clutch performance this year too, actually.
1: 25 points. 11 assists, 9 rebounds a game. Um, Harden 62% true shooting on 29 usage with an insane ass- so his assist percentage as basketball reference counts it 44% of, of of teammate field goals when he was on the floor like that's that's an incredible that's an incredible number that is in line with some of his best years is not his, his best year in Houston 16-17 in terms of that single measure was a little bit higher but I mean crazy within the course of the league so Harden I mean in the conversation for the five best offensive players this season so I mean I, I don't think there's much of an argument against having him on the second team
0: yeah uh, Harden uh, I mean the argument would be the amount of time and he's basically right around that same level of lebron and butler and leonard uh, only 42 games now the fact that he's played 42 games and A bunch of them came in Houston where he was sabotaging things. That is now a larger percentage of his season. But ultimately, I did put him here on the second team as well, just because he's just a different tier, a different class of player than the guys who are in this group below him. He has been for a long time. And yeah, this hamstring injury definitely sucks. Uh, doesn't sound like he's going to play much more. Maybe he'll play one or two more games. It's just kind of a light ramp up here, but I'm still, he's just a a different class of player and he's played enough, even with the Houston issues that, that he's got to be here. So now we get to third team. And I thought that one other player to me, let let me give you the list of, of players that I still have in consideration here. Sure. Kyrie, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Zach Levine, Chris Paul, and Trey Young. And to me, out of that group, Irving clearly separated himself. Even though I haven't clearly below Harden, I thought he was a pretty easy pick to be at least one of those guys. And again, you get into the overall stats. The biggest one for me with Irving, Brooklyn Nets, 93rd percentile on offense with Irving, but no Harden or KD on the floor. Ninth in offensive Raptor, eighth in luck-adjusted offensive RPM. The traditional stats in terms of efficiency and usage are also completely ridiculous. 61% true shooting, over 30% usage. The minutes, even though he's kind of missed time this year, 1,800 minutes are probably at or above the median for these All-NBA guys that we're talking about in this crazy year. So Kyrie just had to be on there uh, to me as uh, because the team's doing well, his traditional statistics are better than the rest of these guys. Obviously, they're a dynamo when he's on the floor with the the other one. The other guys, uh, Harden and Durant, as well. So, and I think defensively, he's been he's had some lapses, but he also is he's probably better than some of these guys, like Trey, for example. Probably about the same as as Booker or Mitchell.
1: And f- uh, no arguments there on Kyrie. Kyrie firmly on my third team. And I, I felt like there was a reasonable separation between Trey Young and everyone else. You know, so like we- we Kyrie accepted because we already talked about him. And for Trey, I mean, he's hu- huge role within the offense. 33% usage. 10 assists per 36 minutes. is both; Those are both really high. Efficient as an individual player. 59% true shooting, partially just because he gets to the line. Such an ungodly amount. And you know the hawks offense has been fantastic when he's been on the floor 119.4 cleaning the glass offensive rating is excellent and the hawks have had a lot of players shuttling in and out they have a lot of dependent players not exclusively but a lot of dependent players on it and i i just
0: ton ton like that first like probably before gallo and bogdanovich started playing i mean they had some pretty miserable offensive talent
1: right exactly and those lineups were pretty consistently elevated and Trey Young, you know, you don't always think of point guards as being the reason that a team has an insanely high free throw attempt rate. But for Trey Young, that is completely the truth. Uh, John Schumann had the stat. Over the uh, oh, I think it was over the weekend. I don't know the current iteration of it. That so it was he was doing the like players, you know, the players who assisted a specific teammate the most, and Trey Young had two of the top five because it was Collins, yeah, John Collins and and Clay Capella and, yeah. and Trey Young. You know, it's it's a little bit different than Luca, but he he is such a central part of their offensive success. And you know, you and I argued this point a lot over the couple of years, and so it was like last year. Hawks had a one eleven offensive rating, but it was that huge differential because they went off a cliff. They went off a cliff again this year, comparatively, when Trey Young was off four, but a one nineteen point four. That's the top ten percentile of the entire league. When Trey has been out there, if you want to use some of the overall yep. metrics in terms of raptor offensive raptor trey young seventh of players playing over 900 minutes and in terms of estimated plus minus trey is i think he's ninth right behind he's right behind kyrie in one and right ahead of kyrie in the other
0: yeah that's a offensive estimate yes play. he's ninth ninth in luck adjusted rapm offensively as well and yeah i think trey there's been a lot of attention on he's not shooting as many threes now and his individual efficiency is down a little bit he relies on the free throws with. Which I mean, nobody complains about Joel Embiid. There, I mean, there is a feeling that it's like kind of more bullshit foul drawing, which is true. But uh, last time I tracked, at least during the regular season, those count in the scoreboard. Yeah, it's and the, he su-
1: doesn't, sustainability yeah. doesn't really matter. Like it's he did it. He shot those free throws, and because he Trey Young makes 88 percent of them, they count as points.
0: Well, and you know what else counts as points is all the assists that he. He really just is totally underrated as a playmaker uh the but i did really struggle between him and devin booker booker also crazy offensive rating when he's a on the floor uh, about 120 or so uh 7.5 net rating is really really good seventh in offensive rating in the nba among players playing 25 minutes or more many would say oh Chris Paul should be ahead of Booker." I mean I've even heard some Chris Paul MVP talk which is absolutely completely ludicrous but there's just literally no statistical argument for that other than Phoenix Suns won some games and he wasn't on the team last year
1: see it's it's interesting like I think I think of Booker and Young as more even as players in the abstract than their resumes this year like Booker has actually been less efficient as a scorer than Trey and has a much more yeah. role within the Suns offense now that's a part of why the Suns are way better because if you could have somebody as good as either of those two guys be a smaller role generally speaking that's going to be because you have other good players Chris Paul most notably among them for the Suns and you know both of them you know Booker has I think has improved more defensively than Trey Young has but and so if we were having this of who do you think is the better player if you were going to run the season back who would you who do you think would be better if you swap their teams or something else like that but i think i thought trey's
0: resume was markedly better yeah booker gets more points for being better on defense and being part of a good defense this year where as young as still is definitely a problem although he's he's gotten better as well but i think ultimately they have pretty similar offensive ratings when they're each on the floor but i would say that booker has had more talent certainly more shooting around him for the bulk of the year and also i just Give Young more credit for that number because he's not playing next to a Chris Paul. Like he is the sine qua non of this Hawks offense, or everything runs through him. Donovan Mitchell, if you really dive into it, he just doesn't have any kind of statistical argument to be in this group other than high usage and a lot of points per game. And now the minutes, that's not really in his favor because he looks like he's going to miss a, a month here. And Zach Levine, the one number metrics are not huge fans of him, particularly the. Uh, luck adjusted RPM numbers are really really low uh, on Zach Levine Mike Conley just isn't in the same class uh, as a player in terms of his overall role a lot of the credit he gets in these one number metrics is for defense but he's kind of tied to Rudy Gobert and I'm gonna give Rudy Gobert even more of the credit <laughs> for that uh, than Mike Conley is there anyone else that we needed to talk about here uh, Bra- I mean, Bradley
1: Beal is in yeah. the in the mix for the scoring oh and, yeah
0: yeah no for sure and yeah that's that's another one
1: yeah and so Beal you know I think he I think I would have Beal over a lot of the other you know
0: also considers that yeah. you mentioned I, yeah i would i would have him over mitchell uh, as well for sure yeah um and over levine i, I just i want to see a little bit more overall efficiency from beal th- than we've seen i mean he's gonna probably end up second in the league in scoring but not really that much above average and the wizards offense uh, has not really been that great this year and I don't, some of that uh, uh, beal doesn't do that much distribution i don't think there's just uh i i again i don't think he's in the same class uh as a playmaker as trey young so th- nobody's going to agree with us here i mean trey young couldn't even make the fucking all-star team in east this year so uh, nope. but hey that's not know, our job the, our- the hawks were 14 and 20 and at the time and the the pacers were the four seed so you know go go ahead and put devonis the bonus on uh, over trey young um that's all about all i got on the guards anyone else i'm missing here besides peel nope. that's it okay that now brings us to defensive player of the year and this is one of the easier ones rudy gobert number one full stop yep n- not even close close o-
1: opponent opponent we t- I talked about a lot of it but one other stat to throw in um opponents are shooting just below 50 percent on shots that gobert contests at the rim that is the second lowest opponent field goal percentage of any high volume shot contester miles he
0: is high volume oh
1: dude. yeah he is miles turner for for those who are interested is the only one who's giving up a lower percentage yep. and, and it's fractions of a percent you know doing that uh The other two spots, I think there are a lot of viable candidates, many of whom we will discuss. We're going to do a separate pod uh, for Dunked On uh, Prime subscribers on on all defensive teams and everything else. A lot of them will get plenty of attention there. Um, But I ended up going with um, Clint Capella second. I think that one of the things that I've tried to articulate over this year that I've become more appreciative of is when a team it's not as much about like whether the team is successful defensively in particular when you're on or off the floor it's are you successful defensively at the things that that player affects and so when Capella's on the floor Hawks defense has been pretty good but a lot of it has been doing the big big man things well they're not fouling in those minutes they're grabbing defensive rebounds and they're limiting opponents attempts and success on shots around the rim those are all things quick Capella does that are all things that his backups have done less well at different moments in time and so i give him a lot of credit for when the hawks have been successful
0: on that end no i agree i had a number two as well but i, I wasn't particularly strong on that I no i wasn't either joel Embiid. I, I had joel Embiid third uh i also uh miles turner would have been right in this mix had he not basically not played the last month and a half or, or so um and draymond green also apologies to him uh if he played all year like he has the last month he'd probably be in contention for second as well he'd be four for me he,
1: he's my number right three now. he's my number three but Draymond and Embiid was splitting hairs
0: yeah I think just uh Draymond just not doing that well in the one number metrics defensively which compared to how he now part of that I think is because actually the Warriors particularly the first half of the year really were kind of built to have a great defense on their bench and so it doesn't show up as much for him but those are also numbers that have absolutely loved what he's done in the past so you can't say that it's biased against him somehow and many will be wondering where Ben Simmons is here uh he's not even close to the best candidate in his own team other than EPM which is the only metric that really likes him and interestingly same uh with Draymond uh but perimeter defenders just don't make that big of a difference compared to big men you look at the on-off stuff and Embiid and is the driver of this not Ben Simmons and moreover that's been the case for the entire Simmons and Embiid era basically uh, so I know they're talking up Ben Simmons as a defensive player of the year candidate and I mean god if he wins it over Rudy Gobert I, I, I may it, it's hilarious to Ben Simmons is like this big foil in Utah over rookie of the year and now it's become he's the foil over defensive player of the year when you know it really should be Embiid as the foil. Like
1: but, Gobert should be yeah. unanimous. Like this isn't it isn't a circumstance yeah. if you can make no, an argument. You're right. Gobert should be unanimous.
0: No, I, I I think you're completely right. Just same same as Steph Curry was. He's not going to be, because uh, a lot of writers don't really know how to evaluate defense. But there's just there's no argument. Uh, and again, this is Rudy Gobert it probably isn't even the best playoff defense player. He's gonna have another chance to prove it this year, but doesn't matter. Uh yeah, doesn't matter. Let's move to
1: Let's do coach of the year.
0: Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Uh pretty similar to where I I think I was
1: I'm uh, I have a notable difference and oh, that yeah. is I have a new number 1. Okay. Tom Thibodeau. I think there are a couple of important things that a coach can do. One of them is Get his team to try on defense. That is something you and I have talked about. Defensive success, defensive effort. And then the other big decision that that Tom Thibodeau had to make that no other coach really in the conversation had to was how is his offense going to work with the, you know, you think that coaches don't have as much of a voice in the groceries. You know, like I use the parcel analogy here. It's buying the groceries versus making the, making the meal. And Tom Thibodeau giving the keys to Julius Randle, not only, and and I mean, a lot of credit there obviously goes to Julius Randle for actually doing it. But not only was that the best decision for the Knicks, that was that is the reason they are doing as well as they are. Is that they've been, you know, that they that they didn't try to do that. I don't think R.J. Barrett would have done nearly as well. When Alfred Payton has had a larger role that hasn't worked out. And so for me, yes, you can make an argument that so, like there are a lot of coaches that have done great. We'll talk about a lot of them this year. But in terms of elevating the groceries that were purchased for him, I don't think anybody has done a better job than Tips.
0: It's been a very eerily similar season for Thibodeau to his last or the two Bulls teams that he had totally without Derrick Rose in 12-13 and 13-14, where they had this good defense, they're try-hard, they came on like gangbusters at the end of the year and got to have the offense a little bit better than it had been early and the defense is there all year. So, yeah, he's number three for me, uh, and a lot of the stuff that he's said you know, a lot of people would say, hey, this is a crazy year, why uh, you're playing Julius Randle 40 minutes and R.J. Barrett 40, 40 minutes. But that's actually worked this year. Those guys haven't gotten hurt. He's maybe a little bit lucky that they haven't. And, and we'll see where they are a few years from now.
1: And as comes up, you know, what came up in MVP and all this stuff. That doesn't mean I think Tom Thibodeau is the best coach for any team or is, is a great playoff coach or anything else like that. I didn't do coach rankings like you and John Hollinger did. But... I think he has been he has he has been the highest value add of any coach for me in the league this year.
0: Yeah, I think you had to officially retire from coach rankings after Jason Kidd was fired, as we were ranking him <laughs> number thirty, like literally as we were talking about him. Um, but I, I think overall, Tibbs still does some things that uh, there is some fruit, like you know, playing Alfred Payton too much, sure, for example, is not amazing and. He definitely has gotten great effort out of this team. And, and you mentioned putting it in Randall's hands. He's done a great job. There are a lot of great candidates.
1: Yeah, and, and th- year, it's actually. it's funny in a certain respect, you can make an argument that by picking Tibbs, I'm dissing or, you know, under undervaluing the Knicks talent. Yeah, possibly. Very possibly. And I mean, I love for Winston well more than almost every me- member of the basketball media. And that's been true for a half decade now. But yeah. it's... It's still to get this level of talent and something I brought up, uh, Jared Dubin, I talked about this a lot and uh, a couple other, you know, this come up in my, the writing that I've done with Seth at the athletic of, even if you regress the Knicks opponent three-point shooting to the mean, they are still a much better defense than I anticipated. And they're better in a lot of ways, some of which are personnel, but like, I mean, playing hard and everything like that. And so, yeah, I mean, there's an argument to make that some, not all of this stuff is sustainable. And, but yeah, as you said, you were going to get into, there are a lot of coaches that have done phenomenal jobs this year.
0: Yeah, I am loath to make the coach of the year. And, and, you know, the Knicks might get to whatever they're going to get to here. What, what are they going to make? The five seed?
1: I think there's a very good chance of the four
0: yeah okay so i mean that that's very good but that's also not as good of a record as your traditional four seed would have would have and to me i'm a little bit loath to reward the coach of the team that gets you to being you know like above average when you weren't supposed to be that good as opposed to a guy who takes you to being elite and I really struggle between Quinn Snyder and Monty Williams I think this is going to go back and forth to, towards the end Snyder to me has re-emerged once they have it looked like they were really in free fall and they're going to be the two seed maybe even possibly the three once both Mitchell and Conley went down and they have completely righted the shit now they've been just blowing teams out again in that circumstance at least the, the bad teams like he, his system is just absolutely fantastic I think they've been way above expectations but you also have to consider that with the talent that they had on the floor they're probably above where they should have been talent wise the last few years and now they're even higher than that
1: yeah i mean as we're recording this the jazz have a plus 11.2 clean the glass net rating the clippers are second at plus 6.9 that is a gargantuan margin and even if you want to argue that this that the jazz in total not in the moment have had better of player availability luck than others yeah i mean I, i would say that's fair this is still an incredible performance by them and the degree of, you know, building a defense around a single player and also building an offense without a, an incredibly efficient, and this disrespect Donovan Mitchell to some extent, an incredibly efficient one-on-one creator, that's a really hard thing to do. And I mean, that the Jazz are not only one of the only teams in the NBA that is top 10 in both offense and defense— but also one that does it in kind of a different way is really impressive.
0: Yeah, the way they've emphasized bombing early threes as well. And that's something that if you do that enough times, maybe that gets into your defense, but they've managed to maintain their defensive effort as well. So I do go at Quinn Center by a hair, just a hair over Monty Williams because... And I thought he actually did a really good job last year, and that they built on that. They have their offensive system is fantastic. They get a ton of cuts. They're among the highest in assisted buckets. He's worked in Chris Paul after a rough starting. Mean, what did they start? They started like eleven and ten or something, didn't they? And now they uh, were going to be close to being the one seed. They might still get there, uh, but it's looking like the Jazz of the inside track. We'll see what ends up happening there. But and that one seed is going to be pretty important, given where the Clippers and Lakers look so- like they're going to end so up the, su-
1: the Sun started eight and eight and then they went on a big win streak just for those who want that
0: number right right yeah so uh and I mean you can just again point to a ton of schematic stuff that they've done to get this to be well and uh, 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 a very good defense as well DeAndre Ayton making steps forward no backup center they still stop people with that group
1: and and to me it's it's funny because this came up a little bit in all NBA one of the strongest arguments for Monty Williams so I had Quinn Snyder th- second and Monty Williams third so very similar and it was horrendously close between all of those guys all those guys, is that the Suns have been this good while neither of their guards had a transcendent season. Like, you know, they've both been, you know, both Booker and... and Chris Paul have been very good. Like I'm not saying they're, they're slugs or anything terrible. They're they're. Just, I thought it was the way that the Suns got to that next level was like maybe both of them being like second third team All NBA quality, and they're they're both doing well. Yeah. And and so for the Suns to do that, and as you mentioned, without a backup center, the Sharich center stuff has been a revelation. We wondered if that was going to work out, and they've they've defended well in a lot of different circumstances, and especially when they've been closer to healthy. Um, getting a lot more defensively out of DeAndre than we expected. I think that's been important. And the Suns, as great as their guards are, they don't have a ton of like shot creation out of the rest of their team. You know, not, it's not as, I, I would say, as it's kind of a different beast than the one that Quinn Snyder is dealing with. But, you know, like Mikhail Bridges, I, I love Mikhail Bridges, but he succeeds in very specific ways. And they have kind of a lot of guys like that. Jay Crowder, of course, firmly fits that description. Cam Johnson, you know, guys that you need to set up, but that that, that can convert when, when set up. And to be able to make all of that function into a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense is a great coaching job
0: and I feel terrible about leaving Doc Rivers off of my top three I, he, they did a really good job yes. staying afloat when Embiid went out he's really put Embiid in great position to succeed uh, he's having his best year Tobias Harris is having his best year as well so I'm uh, Doc Rivers has done an amazing job and I feel terrible about not having him in my top three but I think the Thibodeau uh, with the the Knicks surge uh, has surpassed him
1: well and some a couple other play- coaches that I want to mention that have done a really nice job this year um Yes, their offense has taken a, a, a jump off a cliff, but for the Lakers to be second in defense when you consider how much time Anthony Davis has missed, how much time LeBron has missed, and how much they've relied on Montrez Harrell at center is really impressive. Like I think Frank Vogel has done a really good coaching job this year. I am more confident in his defensive chops than I was at the end of last year, and they won the damn title.
0: I, I agree with you there. It, we, we talked about that on locker room the other day that they're not gonna have anyone who's anywhere close to an all defensive team this year and they're yeah. still it, we'll <laughs> see. (laughs) close to the number one number one defense uh james borrego getting the hornets to be pretty solid on offense working in Lamelo ball to what was already an established backcourt has been fantastic they're at least going to make the play and that's way above where anyone had them and you know, Mark Dagnault, when the Thunder were actually trying, he was doing a pretty good job. Now it's now it's hopeless. And uh, Taylor Jenkins, certainly the, the Grizz are going to overperform again. They'll be right in the play in mix. I think pe- most people had them below that.
1: Uh, I want to mention Steve Nash and yeah, sure. the whole coaching staff. But how they have handled the ludicrous amount of player availability and turnover is Is impressive. And I mean, and that they've tried out a lot of different stuff, and whether it's switching or, you know, a lot. I mean, Harden is playing fundamentally differently than he did earlier in the season and in previous seasons under Mike D'Antoni. And so I I think that Nash has, it's a, again, a very different challenge than a lot of these guys. And I don't think, I didn't put him in serious conversation for the top three, but I did want to mention the job that Greg Popovich has done this year. I think that the Spurs have played better defensive personnel as they, you know, moved Jakob in and de-emphasized and then eventually, I mean, they, they let LaMarcus Aldridge go and then crazily, he retired. But to be 11th in defense and to be in the, in the playoff mix with Derek White barely playing this year and when he played, not playing particularly well and incorporating a lot of young dudes and everything else, like, I think Pop did a really good job this year, just not quite at the same level, but I wanted to mention him all the same. It's
0: good to work at the year now and Anthony Edwards has had a big surge lately and hopefully that's not going to lead to people actually voting him as rookie of the year compared to Lamelo. but uh edwards has played at the level where i think he's comparable to lamello since probably about march 1st or so that the uh the unit wants an abe donkey actually had a big surge after that but when we last did this which was mid-march Anthony edwards had a 480 true shooting percentage he killed the wolves for two-thirds of the year definitely has come on lately and obviously playing with towns and russell has really helped him but Lamelo each just not close to lamella ball despite the fact that he's played 800 more minutes Lamelo has basically the same usage higher efficiency way better obviously as a playmaker way better as a defender and way better as a rebounder where, where edwards really doesn't do much so there's essentially just no argument whatsoever for me uh second was a little bit harder i do try to put a kind of tiebreaker on who i think is the best overall prospect and i actually would have edwards now as the second best overall prospect in this class above hal burton. by a hair i think it could it could go either way but he's he's when i say i might even put hal burton is having the higher median outcome but edwards has shown enough to me that i value that upside more so i probably if i were going to say who would i rather have going forward i probably would pick edwards over hal burton at this point but i do have hal burton higher because Halberton was a, a quality contributor all year whereas again edwards just he's been solid for the wolves in the chris finch ish era and when tom has been back and obviously that's made things a lot easier for him they've been competitive since then but he was just such a negative player with incredibly high usage and really low efficiency bad defense no no work on the boards really that uh you just that happened and I will discount that some because he's come on and that's what rookies are supposed to do and this is kind of a prospect focus award but that's not enough to overcome someone who's been solid all year
1: Agreed. And I think rookie of the year to me is, I, I don't factor in how good the player is going to be nearly as much as you. So Edwards didn't, he didn't factor into my rookie of the year voting. He will of course factor in my all rookie, all rookie team consideration. Um, but I thought there were three and you could make an argument for a fourth, you know, rookies that helped their team. And this isn't, you know, some of the all, all, all in one metrics didn't agree with me. And I'm okay with that. But just as, as I saw it this year, Lamelo won, you know, he, he made his team better. And also like, we should talk about that Lamelo. Was a better defensive player than we expected. Now it is sure. it is toned down a little bit, but like he is he was much better this year defensively than Anthony Edwards was. And you know he, that he there are times where he, maybe not a value add, but less of a minus than most rookies are. Halliburton to me is number two. Much smaller role within within the offense. Only eighteen percent usage for Halliburton, but incredibly efficient. Fifty nine percent true shooting. You know, made made a lot of his shots and was was pretty good as a distributor. You know, he, he did that. And then for me, the third the third guy, and there will come the other players will come up. Kind of an all rookie as well was Emmanuel quickly and quickly um I wish he spent a little bit more time on ball it's not the perfect role for quickly but when you think about kind of what the Knicks have going but he was a positive player and positive players are hard to come by in year one about league average true shooting 26% usage 3.8 assists per 36 minutes you know decent enough on defense he's a guard that you know very few rookies or value adds anywhere and for guards that's not as big a deal um and so for me quick the quickly spot I considered two other guys there and I'll let you I don't know if you're going to get to the same two but there were there were two others and then those two complete my all my all rookie first team.
0: Uh so is one of them Isaiah Stewart? Yes
1: he is. Um, Isaiah Stewart I'm not you know Raptor loves his defense in a way that I don't particularly you know I, I've i been impressed with, with Stewart and he he's better on that end than I expected you know watching the, watching I watched him at UW it was this, sort of similar to Kyra Lewis where I watched him play against guys that we were scouting but we never formally did Isaiah Stewart and I thought he did really well and then my other guy who I think has been a positive player again kind of like quickly efficient in a smaller role is Stewart's teammate Sadiq Bey
0: yeah the Bay and quickly and stuart i they just don't seem like they're going to be significant enough players
1: yeah see play i just don't care about that in at the all in the end like no, I,
0: I, no, I i got you i, I mean and that's uh you know where's halburton i think i think is it's just uh, when you're when you're looking back on it like those guys will be okay-ish starters and uh, you know anthony edwards could be a star potentially and you know i I think just if he let's uh, in some ways actually i think if edwards had just done what he's done in his overall stat line just consistently throughout the year and never gotten better i probably would would feel different about it but because he's like played at actually like a pretty quality level these last couple of months and come on like that makes me feel better uh, about having him here but again they number three in rookie of the year we probably don't need to spend no nope. any further time on that
1: yeah so my my first my all rookie team first team is the ex- five guys I just talked about Lamell of halberton quickly bayonizing. Oh. are
0: we doing that i didn't, oh, I didn't i'll just
1: that, say mine say briefly then my second team okay. i have edwards at the top of my second team and then the other the other four are basically just older older dudes that have been more, like po- at least slightly positive players facundo campazzo jay sean tate desmond bain and xavier tillman
0: sounds pretty reasonable having done absolutely no research on it whatsoever uh let's best sophomore zion is obviously number one and uh i think it comes down to mpj versus john Morant, and i think mpj in this last time has done just enough to pass John Morant who I still like better as an overall prospect but uh, Porter has gotten much better defensively and just the crazy efficiency that he's had he's starting to do a little bit more at least creating his own shot if not setting up others lately but that that one is splitting hairs again and if John shot a little bit better from three or hadn't gotten hurt earlier in the year and and kind of suffered as he was coming back from that ankle sprain uh I think it, it might have been different for me uh do you feel differently
1: I feel the same uh so I think we right. can get to most improved players and i saw there is f- i saw four high end candidates all of whom have had really notable improvements and what I find so fascinating is I've heard a lot about a couple of them and I've heard next to nothing about others Um, and again most improved player is the hardest to evaluate because you're kind of going through different things it's what are you like you're weighting different improvements what is sustainable what isn't because this isn't like I talked I talked about this a little bit in terms of all NBA where it's like yeah maybe Trey Young's foul drawing is unsustainable in the playoffs or whatever like that doesn't matter but I think to a point that does matter with most improved that matters more to me than others so like if a guy if it's primarily based on him shooting really well, and I think that there is a regression to the mean that is coming, I factor that in. And so that will lead to a certain player being a little bit lower, but still firmly among that four. So I'm just going to name the four, and then we can talk about it. So the one that is coming up the most frequently is Julius Randle. And of course, he is a deserving a deserving player in this group. Another one who is a deserving player who you hear sometimes, but I think deserves a little bit more here is Zach Levine. Significant improvement forward, you know, the idea of the, could he generate, could he could he lead a successful offense? Yes. Uh, and I think that the Bulls really missed him during during this COVID absence in particular, and that sank their playoff chances. But then the other two I think are really interesting, and they're actually my one and two. Number one is Joel Embiid, and number two, the guy who is not mentioned at this for at all, is Shea gildas Alexander.
0: Yeah, I. Th- so I I would say I had a top five. No, I'm actually probably a top six. Okay. Randall, Levine, Gilgis, Alexander, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic.
1: I have him fifth. Yeah.
0: And uh Jeremy Grant. Sure. So Grant, if he had played the way that he did the first you know month and a half of the season all year, then maybe he would have been in this. He's also kind of missed some time down the end, and just he's kind of been on a bullshit team too. I mean that that's kind of part of it uh, as well. Where if you're being most improved and you're on a winning team and it's not just about opportunity and you felt certainly he's showed off some new skills right i I mean there's a a few credit this is uh the award designed to honor an up-and-coming player who has made a dramatic improvement from the previous season or seasons is is the rubric for this and so i look at not only just your numbers but also your skill level are you doing different things and are you doing different things in a way that's sustainable do you have new moves Are you better off the dribble? Are you a better passer? Are you a better shooter? Better defensively? So I think Grant, to some degree, showed off some new skills and he had more opportunity, which is what he wanted coming to Detroit. If the efficiency hadn't just fallen off throughout the season and ended up kind of being averageish or below average, then I would have felt better about you know this being a real improvement as opposed to just more opportunity. I really kind of wanted to go with either Embiid or Jokic. I mean, Embiid, why well, you featured him quite prominently? Why don't yeah, you he's my number lay down one. The case for him.
1: I mean, so yeah? Embiid did. I've talked about this a lot over the years in most improved player. He increased his role within the offense, thirty three usage to thirty five five when i when I did it. And also improved his efficiency. 59% true shooting to 63. And going from an all NBA player to my permitted MVP is a massive leap. Like, that is is something to be a, you know, one of the top defensive players. You had him third, I had him fourth, and defensive player of the year, and to be one of the most impactful players. That isn't what he was before. And getting to the free throw line a ton and being a part of a more dynamic, successful offense, it is not only a difficult improvement, like, but it is also the most important important improvement of any of these players and for me Jokic he he is better but he was also I I think that he is he is a slightly amplified version of what was already a great player whereas Embiid has added you know like the the foul drawing is at a different level and I I, you know he wasn't in this conversation the way that he is now.
0: We'll we'll talk about Jokic in a second because I think it's been more than a slightly amplified player but yeah if you just look for Embiid usage way up from last year you mentioned the true shooting being way up he increased his free throw percentage by 6% which is already awesome for a big man he's up 4% from three his mid-range shooting has been a total revelation this year and, and some of this jump shooting may not be totally sustainable but it, he's gotten to the point where I mean I, I'd like to see him play against Marcus. Gasol I don't think he's really done that this year I, if I did I didn't see the game but I don't think there's anyone that I can think of in the league that can stop him or think to stop him at this point. He has so many ways to attack, getting the usage up as well, being big at the end of games also. And maybe the one thing that's been a little bit of a disappointment, you wish he could uh, still get better with turnovers. And as a playmaker, we haven't seen that as much, but if you look at the team offensive performance on the floor, he's been on the floor. That's ridiculous. The foul drawing, he's also just will run guys over. Like he destroyed Rudy Gobert for 40 points for example in that great game that we did for uh the NBA cast so I'm uh really incredibly impressed by Embiid I would have no problem with him being picked uh, as well but let me lay out the case for Jokic sure. I did put I'll give you my top three I went with and again I I honestly would have picked any of the six this is always such a hard war I, I went with Randall number one uh Gilgis Alexander number two and Embiid number three with massive apologies to Zach Levine and Nikola Jokic Hollinger wrote about this quite a bit with Jokic, but going up to 41% from three from the low thirties, where he basically had been almost all of his career. That was, that's huge, right? Because that was, and he really discovered that against Gobert last year. If you had, you know, unlike Embiid, where there's nobody who can guard him in the post, basically at this point, there's maybe like four guys who could guard Jokic in the post. And, But now you also have his ability to pick and pop. And so those guys who can guard Jokic in the post aren't going to be able to deal with him on the perimeter in most cases. So that's another form that he has. He's so much faster. Like the number of dunks that he has being way higher than it was before. I think he's having one of his better years defensively, even if the stats don't necessarily support that, even better as a passer and initiator. uh, And just his overall scoring rate, his usage is like way, way up as well. And his efficiency is up. He's still one of the best mid-range guys in the league. His post-ups, like the Sambor shuffle, he's been using that even more now. Uh, But so, yeah, I, I think it's more than just kind of an incremental improvement for him. Let's talk about Shea Gilgis-Alexander, though, who you uh, again mentioned. He's only played about 1,100 minutes, which is... I I don't put that in as much because Shea, to me, showed off a a much better skill level as well.
1: Well, yeah, and I think with Gilgis-Alexander, what happened was his role within the offense is so fundamentally different. Last year, Gilgis-Alexander was a part of a three-headed guard group with Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder, both of whom are in... Other pastures, I mean, and and that has left Shea Gilders Alexander to be the creator. And you you ramp up the degree of difficulty not only in terms of his role, but also in terms of surrounding talent. I mean, this Thunder team is dramatically worse than the one that was around last year. And Alexander, Gilgis Alexander, um, large, much larger role within the offense. Not a big surprise when you go from having CP intruder to not. Um, Larger, so usage 24 to 28, and then going from three and a half assists per 36 to 6.3. That might not sound like a lot, but it it really is. But also becoming an incredibly efficient player. I mean, so 62% true shooting, one of the best...
0: For, for a guard on a bad team, that's incredible.
1: It is. And yes, 42% from three might not be totally sustainable. It probably wouldn't have sustained over the course of this full season. Yeah. But watching the film on him, the pick and roll work, he's he is a fundamentally better player. You know, like he, is, he his timing and yes, there are parts of playing with Al Horford that can make things easier because he's, I like to call it a dual threat big because he can pop and he can roll. And so that makes the kind of, if you're trying to play it two on two, that can make the other guy have some struggles. But when the other three guys on your team often can't do a whole heck of a lot. That that is a a challenge for me. To that's a challenge for Shea, more accurately than a challenge for me. Um, and I think that, that 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 is a gargantuan leap. And I think with with Randall, like I mean, totally in this you know in this mix and everything else. But like for me, part of Shea over Randall is that if Randall's shooting isn't quite as ridiculous as has been, you know, like the the contested the contested twos, if that. Scales yeah. down a couple of percent.
0: But 42% for three. He was 28% last year.
1: Yeah. So if it's, but, but like with Shea, I mean, part of it is, is watching all the film and everything else on it. And I, I just, I think that there is, there is more there that you can, that you can say is this is who he is moving forward. And, you know, it's designed to do an up and coming player and Randall's had a wonderful year, but I, and again, I have Randall third, you know, and, and I have zero opposition to you having him first. Like that's, that's a totally fair result. If Randall wins the award, I will not complain one, one bit, but I, I think what Shea has done is more, it's more impactful. And I think it's maybe not all sustainable but it is the foundation of something that is more sustainable
0: yeah i did go with randall number one and julius randall is doing this if you want to talk about the improvement in his game certainly the distribution is part of it but like you know he's just attacking guys off the dribble like the step back to his right is just deadly all of a sudden i mentioned the three point shooting improvement the improvement has gone up a lot as well uh, as uh, he's only shooting 40% from Mid range, but that's much higher, and he's just taking impossible shots. And you talk about the ecosystem, he's had to work in this impossible ecosystem, he's taking only 17% of his shots at the rim and previously in his career the lowest it had been was last year when he took 36% of his shots at the rim that's just incredible well and Randall I mean
1: so last year he shot 28% or sorry sorry he shot uh 36% on jumpers this year that's up to 42% so even that's that's some twos and some threes and the degree of difficulty has gone up too this isn't a player you know going from you know a lot of self-created to catch and shoots in many ways it's the reverse
0: yeah even his threes only 80% of his threes are assisted which is a High number, or, or, or a very low number, I should say. It's a high number to have 20% of your three pointers self created at his position is really impressive. And only 34% of his twos are assisted, which, again, for a power forward, is tiny. And he's gotten way better on defense. He's been a part of a good defense. I don't think he's been the driver of that, but he certainly hasn't prevented that from happening. And, and Levine, we talked about him too. I mean, he's gotten, it's a shame that he had that sprained ankle and then the COVID absence certainly got to be at an all-star level this year and became enough of a threat as a jump shooter that you now have to double team him as the point of attack and that it really worked on his playmaking and he was able to drive efficient offense for his team for the first time but a lot of what he was doing too is just making a ton of jump shots which there wasn't quite the across the board improvement he's gotten a little bit better defensively but he's still not amazing there he's better on ball than off ball as we've talked about um let's get to six man of the year and i think for this there is one player who to me very clearly has the best statistical case and that's thaddeus young
1: that's interesting so i have thaddeus young second and i i couldn't get you know i couldn't put him above the guy who happens to be also leading in kevin pelton's wins above replacement player the warp metric and thaddeus young i i get the case it's in many ways similar to the to the andre guadala case but good lord joe ingles is beneficial offensively
0: yeah, he was he was my number 2 and both of these guys have benefited from getting some time as starters due to either injury or uh ineffectiveness of the stars at times which have bolstered their cases i would actually say though that thaddeus young's time as a starter probably hurt his case (laughs) to some degree he was much better as the sixth man and his overall net rating went down but he's still i mean there are very few if you go through and look at it of guys who are sixth men who are playing a bunch of minutes per game but also have like really good net ratings i mean there are very few of those guys because if you're on a good enough team to have a good net rating then you've got probably really good starters on that team and so guys coming off the bench just aren't gonna play that much and, and ingles was is kind of the exception to that but young just as you go through the one number metrics he's just way higher than all the rest of these guys I worry a little bit that there's some shooting luck and bother like he is way lower in uh the luck adjusted RPM than all this other stuff but he's 90th percentile in EPM very high in regular rpm top 20 18th in the NBA and Raptor. There's just no one else who's really close to that in some of these. So I had to give it to Thaddeus Young, uh, based on that but you, i so I, I think his statistical case is pretty clear uh, maybe less so just in my own mind of who i think is a better player but ingles uh and he was up there gonna set the nba record in true and that's gone down some now that he's had to do more on ball playmaking but he's basically been their point guard these last three weeks with conley and mitchell out as well
1: absolutely and the, he that has given ingles kind of you could call it more to do and he's been he's been absolutely incredible i mean offensively yes the usage rate isn't isn't crazy high you know it's 16.6 usage but 69% true shooting i mean that's kind of it's it's almost inconceivable he's making of his threes taking 7.8 per 36
0: minutes. But but by the way, Robert Williams would say, uh, I do not think that word means what you (laughs) think it means.
1: And Ingles doing that without getting to the line, you know, doesn't have to. He shoots 85%, but gets there, you know, a couple times every game or every few games. Um, And Ingles also making 60% of his twos, you know, not having to get there a ton, but doing that. And so, and I I mentioned uh, KP's warp metric has, has Ingles number one. It has Thaddeus Young a little bit lower, but I think they're, you know, they're, I think that can get a little bit complicated. I have Young too. I think that it'd be for me it'd be hard to argue him any lower. And I don't know if part of it is just me being being thrilled that he's been better defensively this year and the numbers looking better. But I ended up going with Montrezl Harrell third. I think that he's you know the. I don't know if this is like me him going over an unfairly low bar but like the lakers defense has been very good when he when he's played on the floor like 108 2 overall but also 1066 when harrell played without davis on the floor which was why i thought those lineups were going to be what kind of what kept him alive and you know the the, the high efficiency offense 65 true shooting you know all the the 15% total rebounds like all that stuff like I, I think that there are other ones there are other players who have a good case but I was impressed with what Harold's done so far
0: yeah I just think he hasn't had the impact offensively agreed this year but you know and, he's been better that, defensively that, and that's his his raison d'etre
1: and so so who did you have third Jim Brunson yeah I'm fine with that
0: yeah and and apologies to Harold. uh Avicis Zubac technically is eligible for this miles bridges i think it was uh, someone who definitely deserves some consideration marcus morris technically is eligible as well i mean he really is kind of a starter there uh jordan clarkson obviously was the front runner for a time but he just man he fell off a cliff in terms of his efficiency well below league average now and also not someone who really does anything else other than score he's only at 54 percent true shooting three percent below the league average and one of the highest usage guys i think he is the highest usage guy coming off the bench but hey we've we've moved beyond usage uh and also patty mills hasn't been as efficient the rest of the year either he was up there for me early on anyone else i'm missing here in your mind
1: i think that's about it
0: but yeah, I, th- I thought it was a pretty clear top three to me. I didn't, I didn't have Harold. I, I
1: had Brunson. To, uh... I had Brunson fourth, so that's. I'm not gonna. And then for me, the I'll, I'll say briefly the. I mean, I, we talked. We've talked a lot about Jalen Brunson over the years. Just that the Mavericks' offense, like the Mavericks' offense, wasn't quite at the level that I would have hoped when Brunson played without Luka. He f- they fit in better together. But you know, with the idea of that, could he lead it? And there's still. It's not like they were bad or anything like that. But I, I, I when it's a point guard, I, I think about it a little bit differently
0: okay executive of the year
1: I have had a single person atop my ballot when we because this is a award we do well monthly in a normal year we've done it a little bit differently this year and it's still Sam Presty to me I I the because remember it, it covers the way executive of the year it covers for me when basically you could think of it as when the after the trade deadline or you can know like so the draft counts even though the league year hasn't turned over so it's not just straight league year. yes and Presti getting selling a lot of players at high at high value, and also part of that being able to convert the subsequently, like the players acquired in that, and being able to flip them again and building this asset base, not only for the present, but for the future. But there are a couple other important pieces here.
0: One is wait, can, can I talk about one of, one of the trades sure. real quick that you're doing? He traded Steven Adams making $29.5 million for a first round pick. That's, that's just incredible. <laughs> that's, and there's, there's so many of these two, but that's the one where I'm just like, that's, that's completely ridiculous. Uh, but, but anyway, you, you were going to say there's a, some other components uh, as well. Right.
1: And one of the other really important ones is, then uh, uh, this will come up in not executive of the year as well, is he had to hire a coach. And I think he did a very good job. You know, I, I, we don't know exactly where Mark Dagnald is going to fit in, but I think he's done a very good job with the with the situation that he has been handed. And I and and that is so that is another important piece of business that Presty did. Some of the moves on the margins, you know, like kind of young players and you know putting putting pieces around it. I thought their draft was reasonable. You know, we'll see how Pokusevski works out. And I remember I this I'm not universally like everything he's done. I thought that Presty didn't get enough value in the. Horford, Danny Green trade. I thought that they basically, they did Philly more of a solid than they got extracted value for. But you know, drafting Teo Maladon, finding Moses Brown, get, you know, basically getting Trevor Riza and then getting something for him when he hadn't played at all. And then now he's helping Miami, but you know, and like letting him sit out there, you know, it's kind of a similar story with George Hill, though George Hill played before his thumb got fractured. Um, I, I just think he he did a lot of things well. And while many people would say, hey, like they've been unconscionably terrible over the last couple months. Yes, and like I, I, think in many ways. No,
0: I mean that that's another reason why he's still number two for me. Just uh, like the, the the fact that they showed a bunch of improvement. Shea Gilgis Alexander looked really good, and now they're actually getting a look at bu- a bunch of these other guys and managing to flush the toilet as well and get right down into the mix for uh that top five pick that they wanted. When I mean they're sixteen and nineteen when Shea Gilgis Alexander played, and I mean the, who knows what the hell they're gonna be without him? But they clearly. Yeah, they, you know they made Al Horford go away for a while, and you know they didn't get in trouble with the league for that somehow. It's so uh, that was. Yeah, now this is doing a good job. Uh, another one of my candidates who's not in the top 5, uh Rafael Stone, the uh the tank for him has been really important too, I, I think. And and they've actually gotten I thought the Harden trade was good. Christian Wood was a good signing. Uh Kenyon Martin looks like he's going to be a solid player as well. Getting sean Tate out of nowhere is pretty good. And they've also been completely destroyed by injuries, but to, hey, to get, have the best chance that they possibly could at in that top four protected pick, given where they started the year, has been impressive. He deserves some credit for that. Um, but I had a different number one than you. You had Sam Presti. I'm going with James Jones. I just can't reward i mean presti when the rewards of this are so far in the future and we don't know that they're going to happen it's part of the issue with just with this award is you kind of you kind of have to do something where the time horizon and benefits have already been experienced whereas we're still it's still speculative for presti and i do think that the spirit of this award should involve some sort of an aspect of improving your team this year like presti last year i think it was well i mean pick because i mean they they actually they got they, better, they, right? they
1: were- I mean, you could argue they were outperforming their point differential by a hilarious degree. But like they were a somewhat interesting team before everything everything went away. Now, they weren't yeah they weren't at the same level, you know, the record overstated it, but Yeah, And, and
0: he got he got his actions this year got the Oklahoma City Thunder much closer to winning a championship. I think last year was was bigger for that though with the Westbrook and George trades, obviously. I mean this is sort of just the cherry on top of that. But I mean James Jones to get a team to being either the number one seed, they were out of the playoffs last year, and he used Kelly Oubre, Ricky Rubio, a protected first and the mid-level probably the jay crowder is the best mid-level signing like easily uh and they, they re-signed dario sharic and they've taken those assets to make a team like statistically certainly at least a bona fide championship contender contender for the number one seed in the west well
1: and like and, you brought up the number two seed in the west like they have the second best record in the nba they have this the sure. suns are they're in the mix for number two net rating they're currently third behind the clippers as we record this but I have no problem with James Jones being being in the States. I,
0: I mean, the the Jalen Smith pick though is is quite a block. <laughs> that is guy. a
1: that is a part of why no. I don't have him first. And um, I mean, Tyrese Halliburton being on the board, you know, like that's that's an important.
0: Yeah, and this is not hindsight. Like we no. we're yelling for him to take. I
1: I, I tweeted. Point. I'm like I can't believe that the Suns are going to get Tyrese Halliburton because the we, we the Chris the Chris Paul trade had already happened, right? Yeah, it had because the, yeah they were they were, right, were going right. to potentially have Halliburton behind, and he would have fit so well with both of those. Players and the Suns also did some really nice moves on the minimum market, you know, getting Langston Galloway, getting each one more, you know, for two of the better players that at least yeah.
0: conceptually Tory Craig is in their rotation. They got him for cash, yes, at the trade deadline. So,
1: yeah, James Jones had a phenomenal one, and then the, 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 I, so I. I had kind of a top three i technically the executive of the year ballot is only one person that's the way they do it which i think is a little bit weird but the other to, to yeah.
0: me well it's a little bit weird to have the other executives vote on it also too,
1: also weird um the other person that i think warrants some some serious discussion and it's especially for for you and i that are kind of like some of the nuances of what made his job really good is daryl morey and so what daryl morey was able to do one hired a, hired a very good coach and while either you know how much credit everything else i mean it's the general General managers, the general manager is is a key part in that decision making process, and Daryl Morey was able to do. I, I talk about the double sometimes for players of improve inc- increasing your usage or role within the offense and improving your efficiency. Daryl Morey was able to make a team that not only made more sense but also has a better financial future. And yes, it did. They did sacrifice some some modest draft capital to make it happen, but they went from being hilariously in the tax for years because of the the Al Horford trade and contract contract. contract, sorry, contract with the Al Horford trade to being, you know, a little bit into the tax the next couple of years. And if they want to go deeper to retain somebody like Danny Green or what they want to do with George Hill, they can. And that is an extremely important thing for like the Sixers to be in the mix. You know, they're going to be the one seed in the Eastern Conference and they're one of the best teams in terms of net rating. And to do that while also making the team cheaper and more viable long-term is insanely impressive.
0: Yeah, Maury was was number three for me. Presti was two. James Jones, number one. Uh, Honorable mention to Sean Marks slash Rich Kleiman slash KD. Um, you know, I think things are looking a little bit better. I guess let's get into uh, and Dennis Lindsay, maybe to some degree, but oh, I, I didn't, I didn't have Dennis Lindsay this in this
1: at all because I, I think that a lot of those moves are going to have some real, some real downside later on, especially. Darren no, I, I mean, I, I agree. with it you was, there. It was, it's a, it's a uh, cotton candy. Like, I mean, he's done. He's a very good GM, and they've done a lot of good work. It just mostly wasn't this year. And giving Donovan Mitchell a player option. I want to mention one other p- person, which is Leon Rose. I mean, Leon Rose. Oh yeah, higher, yeah, that's got that's Leon be in Rose. There. He's my number four. Hired my coach of the year, and yes, there are all these other issues with Thibodeau that didn't factor into coach of the year. But also, a lot of decisions to make during during this off season, and get, you know, a lot of the contracts they gave out were exceedingly reasonable. You know, Nerlens Noel, that's looking yeah. good. Alex, they left
0: fifteen million in cap space just open. Open,
1: and I mean, yeah, I, there are ways that that could have maybe been used to get more draft capital or something else. I. In many ways, I wish they hadn't brought back Alfred Payton just so Tibbs wouldn't have played him. But keeping Reggie Bullock on that lightly guaranteed, trading for Derek Rose, they didn't have to give up a ton in that deal. Alec Burks looks good. I mean... um and but the reason why Leon wrote one of the and the Emmanuel quickly pick I think is totally is I mean I I like quickly more this year than moving forward you know third in my rookie of the year I don't think he's necessarily going to be the best the third best rookie moving forward uh demerit is the Obi Toppin pick I think that Toppin was not the best player on the board and the the Tibbs hire you know has some potential consequences that were not felt in my coach of the year ranking but I think he did a really good job overall and Nerlens Tibbs and Nerlens are the places and and Taj Gibson are important places to start
0: yeah that that top and pick it was pretty rough though not executive of the year this will will finish out today's uh, program here. I actually kind of struggled with this. One. I think we've seen some changes. Some of the guys that I had in there are actually looking better at this point.
1: Yeah, and I had a late charger because of the move. They because you know, so, like the the trade deadline is not often a time that we think of rising for not executive of the year. But Arturis Kornisovas, come on down.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, Arturus uh Kornishivis. Well, we will at least we will at least pronounce his name right if if we're gonna crap on him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. It, it's just that that move we were not fans of it and then to to then have it work out where they weren't even they're not even gonna end up uh, in the play-in when we thought at least that this could get them above the play-in and that was that was a big point of the trade uh, to get i mean they the gave away him. this
1: year's first round pick
0: well probably yeah and and now they're they that pick could end up being uh in the top 10 and then and they're hoping they're hoping more that they're it it goes into the top four to at least at least it was protected this year uh and uh, so they had the foresight to do that but then they got the 23 pick as well that's also only top four protected. They give up Wendell Carter Jr. who well, it was a disappointment but he started to show some signs of life as well. They took on this is actually Big Danny too for their aspirations next year. They take on Al Farouk Aminu. Now I will give them credit for getting Daniel Tice for nothing. Yes. That was pretty good. Uh, although Gafford's been yeah, and they also nothing. got Troy Braun for nothing who helped them. Uh, I shouldn't say for nothing because they did trade away Gafford who's been good in Washington but uh, that was actually like kind of a win win trade that Gafford for, for for brown trade it seems like but now because they took on Aminu in that trade they're probably not gonna be able to renegotiate and extend Levine and bring back Tice as well we'll see what happens with that but they're probably gonna uh, and so part of this was to get Levine back I mean to me hey you know what like you could offer Zach Levine a five-year deal and possibly have it be for the designated player veteran extension if he plays w- well next year like that should be enough right to to get him to come back and if you're not a good enough team at that point where he would want to come back for that money then it's probably not worth bringing him back anyway in the summer of 2022 and so a big part of the stated rationale for this obviously was just to be relevant again but also to like convince Levine to stick around or hey just doing a renegotiation extension with Levine. This offseason when you're offering him over ten million extra dollars that he couldn't get elsewhere, plus then giving him a, a four-year max extension on top of that if that's not enough to keep him around like bringing in Nikola Vucevic, you're just so limiting your ceiling uh you know the patrick williams pick i'm not going to kill him on but as a, he also the number four pick was it, there, there are guys that we've liked better so far that but he, he's young you know i'm not going to say that that pick can't work out or anything but yeah i'd have to put our uh, number one in part because some of the other guys who started off poorly in the summer like john horst for example he's recovered with that tucker deal the bucks They got both Holiday and Giannis to stick around after the Bogdanovich debacle. Tommy Shepard, at least they're going to make the play in now. And part of that was the move that he made for Gafford, which is hell. And
1: also Russell Westbrook being so much better than he was at the beginning of the
0: year. True. So. Yeah, I mean, we thought he was going to be terrible. Part of that was probably that quad injury. Now, Westbrook still is going to be crazy over it. I mean, like he's going to actually probably get some All-NBA consideration, which is going to be uh, upsetting uh, to me. But with more worthy players. Uh, and this is for someone who voted for him All-NBA last year over your objection. So to, And we had him MVP in 2017, so there's not some Westbrook bias here um and then third I had Danny Ainge now they've been killed by COVID and they just can't get healthy with everyone I think the, the 48 trade I think was a good one but for this team they just got destroyed by Miami today they they I mean how many games have they had every single one of their good players available but he could have done more like knowing Romeo Langford was gonna be out half the year and not shoring up anything at all on the wing the Tristan Thompson signing doesn't look good giving away Tice just for nothing to get under the tax where he would be helping them so much right now with robert williams being out and thompson kind of decrepit and
1: again the moves that you don't make that if and it kind of seems clear that this uh, that this was the case that while evan fournier was a better use of the trade exception than i expected the celtics to have miles turner is a lot better than than evan fournier and is on a team-friendly contract for years to come would have solved a lot of their
0: problems. and they could have used the the mid-level on someone who would have helped them on the wing instead of using it on tristan and thompson, tristan thompson two here. years
1: when we'll see we'll yeah. see how that second year works out so i ended up ages in my i guess you could call it dishonorable mention i would say also considered is where i had it um my number two has was has been a punching bag of yours for a lot of this season and there's an argument to make that he is that he looks a lot better now than before and that is Garrison rosas and so with rosas it is a a, a challenging kind of like resume because i i would say that the Ed, the edwards pick is unambiguously looking better than it was earlier in the season when Lamelo was outplaying him by more. I still think that was was an incorrect one, but also some of the other stuff to me is looking a little like I mean so remember they sacrificed not only resources but also um salary flexibility to bring in ricky rubio and that was you know they basically they included in that deal was trading james johnson for ricky rubio and ricky rubio has not been nearly good enough and some of that you know might have been not predictable but now it's going to be difficult for the timberwolves to even use the mid-level exception this coming year and that was a choice that rosas made and that they that they didn't have to get into i think the malik beasley contract is looking totally reasonable and some of his you know let's call it the sins weren't in this league year the d'angelo russell andrew wiggins trade we'll see on that um the Juancho heron gomez contract does not look great i mean heron gomez has you know he had another seven million guaranteed for next year um and we'll see with leandro palmaro i mean that we, he didn't play in the nba this year so.
0: yeah he's but schmidt says he's playing well in yeah, europe right so. now he, he had him in the, in his lottery uh when they did the redraft on uh the espn podcast but yeah rosas he's off the list for me just because a big part of that was taking edwards over ball yeah. and now edwards looks like uh, i mean i, I don't don't think he will be, but it does that doesn't look as bad as it did yeah. earlier I, in the year. So I, I had uh Archers, number one, Tommy Shepard number two, Danny age number three. I also considered my number Monty McNair. My number
1: three hasn't been mentioned at all by you.
0: Uh Neil O'Shea? No.
1: Nope. Bob Myers. Who? Ooh. One of the most important decisions that yeah, any team fuck, made you're right. was was taking James Wiseman or and yeah. Wiseman over Lamelo Ball. It could end up being much better than it looks right now, but that is a it is a half decade defining choice and they also you know they're what
0: he, he might have to be number one honestly uh in the end because uh I, I like the bulls weren't going anywhere anyway
1: yeah but for right? me so like Arturus
0: like didn't sacrifice i'm gonna i'm gonna be,
1: oh so actually i'm gonna move bob Myers to two because the other thing i forgot to mention for rosas is while it there's a lot of problems that came from it there's a distinct possibility that chris finch was absolutely the right coach for them and so like if he yeah if he if that ends up being true and i am feel more confident in that than i did before then okay you know fire firing hoiberg and the and guy not having a full you know coaching search and all that so i'm moving myers up to second and some of the other stuff they did in the margins was wasn't terrible i mean at baysmore for the minimum is a, is a good piece of business and the uber trade i mean some of that might have been uh, yeah might have been them having pre-agreed to that but just not not announcing it consummating it until after the clay injury came out but Drafting James Wiseman over LaMelo Ball at this point is, I mean, it was a mistake that you and I said time we each had, we each had Wiseman in a separate tier than LaMelo Ball. And he has been significantly worse than we thought he might be. And LaMelo Ball has been significantly better. And that isn't, you know, that isn't to say that Wiseman's going to be terrible for the rest of his career, that LaMelo is going to be, you know, he's the next LeBron James or anything crazy like that. But you don't get that many bites at that apple and they got it as of right now, they got it wrong. And the other process thing that I think Bob Myers got really, really wrong, that is a challenge. And it's, you know, it's a criticism that I've levied on him, you know, wherever, whatever outlet I've been writing in, if we want to go back to real GM, Warriors world, the athletic is back at point guard. They got Brad Wanamaker. Brad Wanamaker is a good basketball player. However, the Golden State Warriors did not have a second player who can like create good shots for himself and others. And that's a part of why Steph Curry's offensive RPM and all that stuff is so high is because There's never been a theory of the second unit offensively, and that's a part of why the warriors are where they are in terms of record that they needed this sort of a supernatural steph curry season to be middle of the road and there was low-hanging fruit you could get into like the alan Smile each part of this that they're that they didn't offload him that they had to that they spent all this money on kelly Oubre so they couldn't like fill out the roster with competent basketball players so that in the in the year of COVID they couldn't they couldn't like field competitive lineups and I, I think that while it is not a uniformly bad job, it is a mostly bad job for sure.
0: Yeah, and the the wise pick is uh, doesn't look too good. I mean that that is a possible franchise killer and maybe Wiseman would have looked better if he hadn't had the knee issue uh, and some of the other injuries that he'd had but uh, also to pick someone who I mean Wiseman torpedoed their season this season in a way that Lamella or even Anthony Edwards would not have because the center is the center Like you you, you can't get around your center and, being and bad, and like a bad and if you're wing, wing, putting the
1: edict yeah. on, on coaches that you have to play this dude that you have to play him yeah. with the starters I mean if Wiseman was playing 15 20 minutes a game with the reserves then it would be a different story
0: yeah so uh, you convinced me i'm gonna go with myers one arturis two and uh, i guess i'll go tommy Shepard number three. Oh, david griffin yeah, i forgot ahead, to sorry. mention
1: part of why i have arturis number one is also that i think he hired the wrong coach and billy donovan
0: yeah no I, 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 all that comes to mind and, and myers you know did a few good things i mean the Ubre thing i think he would have fit in great if clay had been healthy and they pretty sure they had agreed to that beforehand um you know, David Griffin, other than that Drew Holiday trade, hard to point to anything that he's done well so far this year. We'll see how Kyra Lewis works out, but also another guy who kind of, I mean, all right, is he the replacement for Lonzo Ball? Uh, you know, they got point Zion now, like Lewis is pretty small. He's not going to be a quality defender. So how does he fit in with Zion? That's a question. Even if Lewis has had a few moments here overall, and Yeah, Monty McNair just not moving Rashawn Holmes or Harrison Barnes at the deadline and didn't really seem like they tried that hard. Obviously, they got Halliburton and they did a good job to kind of convince him to apparently want to be there.
1: And somehow to convince all these other teams to not take him, even though he was the best player on the board. Um. Yeah. I have, so I have two others that I think weren't mentioned in different parts of it. So one is Kevin Pritchard because if they if he hired a coach that is so toxic that it basically like kind of ended up partially nuking their season, we don't know that for sure. I just wanted to say like it's a signpost. We'll have to see where that goes, and a lot of that is behind the scenes. I didn't think that Pritchard did a terrible job and everything else. Um, not that the, he had a ton to do. Um, the Justin Holiday contract is totally fine, and then the other one we're not going to get to fully evaluate this yet, and it's another one of those sign post, and I do this a lot, is Rob Palenka. Because Rob Palenka had very few arrows in his quiver in terms of ways to make the reigning champions better or at least retain the players that they had, and the decision to use those to get to trade for Dennis Schroeder and to sign Montrez Harrell and I guess you could say to sign Marcus Sola, to sign Andre Drummond and all these other guys and Wes Matthews if those don't work out if those are a part of why if the Lakers fail and if those are a part of it then that is a pretty significant failure from an executive for a team that the only team that we think has two top five top ten players you know like that has the players in that group and LeBron of course is in their window now there are other reasons especially LeBron's high ankle sprain that things could not work out but the Lakers have a very they have a very specific margin for error and if he got those things wrong like I think he did that is a huge mistake
0: now nothing to to add there and we'll see certainly if they lose in the play-in or they or I mean to have them get the seventh seed like yeah LeBron and AD missed some time to be sure but uh and they st- this it's worth noting too that this team stayed afloat reasonably well without those guys. And it was really once AD came back and was working back in that they really started to struggle again. But yeah, I didn't like the fit of Schroeder and Harold that much in the postseason. They were supposed to be re- to really help them in the regular season. I'm not sure how well that's worked out. The Drummond acquisition to replace Marc Gasol, not sure if that's going to be a good idea. Yeah, they're, they're, this one could get hired. Neil O'Shea, I really liked what they did in the offseason personally, but it hasn't worked out incredibly well either. Okay, that'll do it here. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget about that mailing list. You you remember that uh, about two and a half hours ago at the start of the show, right? Uh, NateDuncanNBA.com slash free. You can get all of our picks here. You can get Danny's remaining schedule book as well as as we go into this last week of the season and get weekly updates from us here thanks so much for listening and keep your eyes peered as as well for doing a free nba cast we're doing the one tomorrow last one that we're doing for the nba at least as of now which is
1: uh bucks at spurs
0: that right thank you
1: 8 30 eastern five thirty pacific
0: yeah so you can get that on nba league pass and then at some point in the next week or so and then in the play-in in the playoffs we're going to be doing those live shows on hot Mike where it'll sync up for you it's really pretty awesome software you can download the app and check that out but keep your eyes peeled on twitter for more on that and uh, we'll talk to you all next time